1: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with. Bruce Prichard. Ah, you're stealing my thunder, man. It's so fun. I like the long pregnant pause, but we really do have a lot to talk about this week. Let's talk about what won last week's poll, and that's Survivor Series 1990. We had a couple little loose ends that we need to tie up from that show, Bruce. Twitter blew up with the same handful of questions, so let's just run through those rapid fire with you right fast. How's that sound? Hit it. Uh, Why the switch from five-on-five to four-on-four as far as the teams go with the Survivor Series format?
0: You know, I don't know that there was that much thought into it other than wanted to have as many top names as we could, and he just felt that that the four-on-four worked better. I don't know there was really that much thought put into it. It It was funny because the first uh catchphrase was teams of five strive to survive and then we were kind of stuck with well four is more <laughs> you know
1: teams of four and your mother was a uh whore. <laughs> uh bad news brown and the cuban assassin fight backstage we didn't talk about this at all but bad news as we now know uh was in the original promotional photos he was replaced by the undertaker we talked about his exodus from the company, but we did never address a backstage fight with the Cuban assassin. Do you remember any sort of details about that whatsoever? I was there. All right. Let's hear about that. And this. I do remember. Okay. Let's as hear. As a matter of
0: fact. No, it, it wasn't much of a fight either. It was words were exchanged, and there was an issue previously in the past with Bad News Allen and the Cuban assassin. Uh, something to do with words that were exchanged between the assassin and Bad News Allen's wife. And we were in, uh, I don't know if we were in Calgary, but we were in the Northwest, and the Cuban assassin was there for TV. Allen approached him, and Alan, they had words, and uh, the assassin went for, his, went for his bag. Alan grabbed a chair, and people were in between them before anything could happen. And, um, uh, the assassin Cuban assassin was asked to leave. Now that, that, that was the extent of it. Okay. You no, know, I was there for it. It was, I didn't know the history until after the fact, but you know, Cuban assassin was sitting down getting his stuff. Alan came in, everything was out in the open, but it wasn't, there wasn't a, a physical altercation, at least not there in, in RTV.
1: Uh, moving on Brent Hart's brother, Dean passed away the night before survivor series 1990 but brett still worked the show um do you have any recollection of that or any memories of that
0: I, I just remember the the incident i just remember you know being amazed that brett showed up and brett was a pro and we all expressed our condolences and, and really that was about it
1: uh was it realistic or feasible for him to bow out at that late of a time Would vince have been understanding and pulled him off oh, the oh
0: sure yes definitely as a matter of fact I, I'm, I'm sure that that sentiment was expressed
1: H- hypothetically uh, if he would have pulled out do you have any idea who they would have thrown in there
0: no clue no
1: couldn't freestyle i guess
0: man don't have a clue okay. but i'd have to look at the roster and go back in time
1: uh, here's I actually
0: a, prepared for Pillman today, so. Oh, yeah. okay.
1: There you go. Um, where was the Macho Man? He was not. Macho Man the was card. there. Okay, I get that. Here's my question, though. It's a it's a big card, one of the bigger pay per views of the year, uh, at a time when they're not doing a whole lot of pay per views. In the not so distant future, he's going the next pay per view. He's going to be plugged into a really big angle with the Ultimate Warrior, and then have a huge WrestleMania match with him. But he's not here. For Survivor Series 90, in terms of he's not on the card, he's not wrestling, and you've got, I mean, you've got Boris Zukov wrestling, but you don't have Macho Man. Why is Macho Man not competing?
0: It was just, it, it was really as simple as getting Randy prepared and, and doing something with Warrior at the Royal Rumble and have Randy come out and be different by doing a featured live interview in front of the crowd. There wasn't, it wasn't, hey, let's leave Randy off. It was, let's get Randy to the next spot. Let's don't muddy the waters a little bit. And let's get Randy into position to work with Warrior at the Rumble.
1: Is it feasible or realistic to imagine that he wasn't on the show because you were going to be put in, putting him in a big-time, prime-time spot and you didn't necessarily want him to lose here?
0: Well, definitely wouldn't have wanted him to lose, but it was just simply a positioning deal. Just get Randy out there, get him exposure, and, you know, get Warrior a big win. This was the second, you know, the second pay per view for Warrior is champion. Uh, the first one was SummerSlam against Rude, and it was just the way you make Warrior and you build him up, and you can build Randy up by letting Randy go out and cut a promo, which is what he was good at, and without having to beat him or. Have him, on the, have him on the card. I mean, there's ways that we could have got him eliminated. Right. But didn't yeah. need to.
1: There were lots of DQs and guys walking away. And there was other creative stuff that was done to protect people's sort of win-loss record. Yeah, uh, I hated that too, but still. Lots of uh, comments on Twitter about us not mentioning the commentary to this show, which was done specifically what people wanted to praise, was Roddy Piper. What did you think of Piper as a color commentator? Uh, one of the things I found funny is uh when you're kicking dusty Rhodes on the outside of the ring as, as brother love he's referring to you as blubber love as you kick a much larger man uh I, I think we mentioned that before but either way it's still what sticks out in my mind about his commentary that week what did you think of roddy uh, on color you know i go
0: back to roddy being on color being one of the original heel color commentators on georgia championship wrestling with gordon soley Always was a fan. I enjoyed Roddy's commentary. I enjoyed his insight. So I I loved him.
1: Well, now let's get to the big one. Um, Hulk Hogan has a series of videos, uh, or at least a handful of videos online, uh, where he takes credit for the undertaker being in the WWF. Uh, he says that suburban commando, uh, called for two big aliens and they already had one actor. And Hogan remembered mean Mark was working for the NWA for Barnett in Atlanta. Those were his words. Uh, and they brought him to Hollywood and they became friends. Uh, and he said, man, we got to get you to New York. So he took him to meet Vince. Supposedly, according to Hogan, Vince laid eyes on him and said, we're going to call you the undertaker right then and there. Uh, and it was that simple. The story we heard from you last week was a little different, uh, where are you at on this?
0: well, the story I told last week is what happened, and I love Hulk to death uh he's a good friend of mine, and you know hulk Hulk is hulk and that and that's just uh, you know that's the best way to explain it. What I told you last week is exactly what happened and in between the time that. Mark met Vince and they were doing the Suburban Commando deal. Uh Mark did go out and do the Suburban Commando deal, but there was no way in hell that Vince would have ever taken somebody from WCW or the NWA, whatever the hell they were at that time, and use them on a movie <laughs> with his biggest star.
1: Well, it's worth mentioning, uh, let's get some timeline here. The movie comes out in late October 1991. His contract ends, uh, in either August or September, I believe it's September of 1990, uh, with the NWA, WCW, whatever. Uh, and he signs with you guys in October of 1990. So he is officially on paper as a WWF contracted performer one year before the movie is released. So do you remember when the movie was filmed? It seems
0: yeah, like it- the- Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie, the movie was shot kind of right before uh, Survivor Series.
1: So, in my head, for memory, I may have this wrong. I'm of the opinion that he probably filmed it after the earthquake angle. So, when earthquake squashes him, he goes and films suburban. He being Hulk Hogan, he
0: being Hulk, yes, yeah. correct.
1: So that would have been before SummerSlam, even. So there is a possibility. That the Undertaker filmed his part?
0: No, t- Taker's part I don't think was filmed. You know, obviously it, he wasn't even a part of it until after he had met with Vince, and they sent him out there and gave him a little bit of work. So he was—he had already had his meeting with Vince before he did Suburban Commando.
1: Now there's going to be a whole lot of folks who uh, are going to, you know, question this timeline. And beat it up uh, a great deal, but we mentioned last week. Uh, you specifically named the pay per view, and it was Great American Bash 1990. Uh, and the reason you know I remember that is because you named his opponent. It was a pay per view. It was Lex Luger it was for the U.S. title. Uh, well, that was in Baltimore in July of 1990, July 7th. As a matter of fact, uh, a lot of you will probably remember that's when Sting beat Flair. For the world title anyway if he's meeting with vince in july of 1990 then it stands to reason that 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 timeline could still match up and the suburban commando thing happen after and it not be something where hogan is just making things up he's just not remembering it 100% accurately ding 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 okay so I, i wanted to be clear and just clear that up and obviously we're not trying to bury hulk hogan at all in doing that All right, let's get into Pillman. And, uh, you know, I feel like we need to lay a little context for how his entire WWF run started because it's probably the most interesting run in the history of a wrestler ever. Uh, I can't think of one. But before we do that, I kind of want to tie up some loose ends that I've always just wanted to know and kind of get your two cents about it. This doesn't fit into the storyline of what we're talking about at all. But. Was there ever any consideration given to signing Brian Pillman before 1995 towards the end of 95. And then in 96, he starts to get hotter and he's on everybody's radar, but he was a smaller guy and he was considered to be a really good worker. He had really good matches, but he was smaller. And I wonder would that have excluded him from being on Vince's radar or did the talent overcome that? And was he on the radar before 95? As far as you remember.
0: I do remember that Pillman was one of those guys that Jim Ross would often bring up. Jim Ross was a big fan of Brian Pillman's, uh, going back to his WCW days, even. Uh, Bret Hart was a big fan of Brian Pillman. Brian trained at the dungeon, Stu Hart's dungeon in Calgary. And, uh, you know, Owen was a fan. So those Calgary guys knew Brian and liked Brian. But Brian was you know, a mainstay of WCW at the time. And it just never really got very serious as far as talks of bringing Brian in at any point. He was a WCW guy, but I don't know of anybody that didn't speak highly of him that knew him.
1: Well, it's a great compliment. And, uh, you mentioned Jim Ross, uh, he was considered to be, you know, a good friend to Brian and he tells a hilarious story on one of the Pillman DVDs that are out there about, uh, a bowel movement that Brian had at a building one time that he was particularly proud of and wouldn't flush it and instead wanted to show it off to the boys backstage and would one by one call people over to see his masterpiece, uh, that Jim Ross described as an ungodly, long, uninterrupted turd. Uh, did you see this turd? Was this turd a rib?
0: Are you sure he wasn't talking about the career of – no, anyway. Um, No, I didn't. Uh, You know, I've I've heard stories like that, but no, I I was not a part of the turd story and the actual visualization of a prized
1: turd. Ross has also told a story about Pillman allegedly having sex with an entire sorority uh, and Mark Coleman, the former MMA fighter, once told a story about Pillman having sex while upside down in anti-gravity boots. Uh, anything fun you'd like to add to these stories before we <laughs> get in? Because it feels like Pillman is a guy who had a constant barrage of attention.
0: Brian, no matter what he did, always had people talking. Let's leave it at that. I never uh, saw and or participated in any of Brian's sexual escapades. So sorry, I can't add to that, but Uh, I heard a lot of the
1: stories. Everybody heard stories about the squeegee incident with Sid. Did you hear about that in the WWF? When does that story come out of the WCW and into the WWF locker room?
0: God, I want to say that night we really? probably heard about it. Yeah, because you know, guys in the bar it's was one of those deals. You know, telephone, telegraph, tell a wrestler, and news travels quick. So it was probably that night that story got got around. But uh, Brian, Brian was a legit tough guy. Brian Brian had a short short fuse, so he uh, wasn't back down from anybody. Didn't care how big they were or how tough they thought they were.
1: Uh, did you ever hear the story? Cause I know you worked with him at one point. Did you hear the story about Bill Watts threatening, uh, to job him out? Unless he took a pay cut once he took over WCW, he being Bill Watts, but then Pillman, you know, didn't take the bait and said that was cool. He would just pay, be paid, uh, you know, the highest paid jobber ever.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I actually heard that story from Brian Pillman and he just said, you know, Hey, they wanted him to take less money. And they would give him a push and do all these things with him. And he kind of laughed about it. So why do I want to take less money for a bigger push? You guys aren't doing a whole lot with me now. Fine. I'll, I'll keep my money and beat me every night. I don't care. Just don't miss any checks.
1: Yeah. Which just
0: Brian's attitude. You know, I, I agree with him.
1: And I think that's really, you know, this, what I want to kind of get going on our story here is. You know, I know you don't like him, but the guy you don't want me to talk about on here, who writes a newsletter, uh, he was asked once when he was covering so much of Pillman's stuff in the reader pages of the newsletter, why are you covering so much of this? And he made a great point. I thought for the first time ever, uh, that he could remember and that I could think of one of the boys was manipulating the promoter to get himself paid more. He wasn't a main event guy, but he was pushing to get main event money as a mid Carter and through his manipulation, rather than the promoter, manipulating the boys, one of the boys was able to actually manipulate the promoter. And it was just a fascinating dynamic. And that's what I kind of want to lay some context to here before we get to the WWF signing, because we really want you to understand this whole loose cannon thing. And how this supposed bidding war came about, uh, it was interesting to say the least. So we're going to start in 96, uh, January of that year. Uh, he signs with the WWF later in the year, but what happens before is critical. I think to understand, you know, who this guy is and what's going on in the business. So let's just kind of timeline some of this, uh, January of 96 on Monday night, nitro. Pillman is doing a promo complaining about Arn and Benoit losing matches And then goes on to comment about how well Benoit performs with naked women in the limo. This is right in the middle of the Benoit, Nancy Sullivan stuff. And Kevin Sullivan is the booker. So this is sowing the seeds of his loose cannon persona, uh, where he would blur the line, so to speak. And even over in the WWF, you've mentioned to me before, Bruce, you guys knew about this situation with Benoit, Nancy and Kevin. Was that fair to say? I
0: think everybody for the most part in the business was aware of it. It wasn't a secret.
1: So for him to go on TV and mention that, uh, is a little, you know, questionable around this time. He starts showing up, uh, late to the shows, uh, not like the normal late that some of the guys are, but you know, unreasonably late. Uh, and then Terry Funk tells a story or has in years past, that around this time he actually talked to Pillman uh, about chaining himself to the goalposts during the 1996 Super Bowl game just to get attention independent of wrestling. Uh, The week after the uh, comments about Benoit in a limo, Bischoff is on commentary on Nitro for a Pillman segment where Pillman spit on Alex Wright. And Bischoff says something to the effect of, don't be surprised if you don't see Brian Pillman in WCW much more. Uh, Then the Nitro, before the Clash of Champions, Pillman just disappears backstage. And he does this at a time when the WWF isn't running too far away. So people in the back start to ask questions when he just disappears. Is he jumping ship? You have to remember a handful of months before. Lex Luger did that exact same thing to the WWF to appear on Nitro. So people are naturally on their toes a little bit. Um, Clash of the Champions in January. Pillman is wrestling Eddie Guerrero, and uh, he wins, but that's not what people really remember. Uh, Guerrero uh, teases a plancha, and Pillman runs away and uses Bobby Heenan as cover. Bobby's at ringside doing commentary. And Bobby says into the mic what the fuck are you doing before storming out? Uh, because Heenan had been injured before and he just wasn't comfortable with that. He had some neck trouble. So this made air and Heenan had to come out and apologize. And then later in the show, Pillman threatens to swear in a Bischoff interview segment, but Bischoff pulls the mic away. Uh, and Pillman, you know, got back, uh, to his promo. This is something you may have been here for Bruce, uh, somewhere around this time. Uh, it's always in January. They hold the television convention in Las Vegas and WCW wrestlers are there and they have a booth and the WWF guys are there and they have a booth and Vince McMahon is there. And normally those booths kind of keep to themselves and keep their distance at the time. Would that be fair to say Bruce?
0: Pretty much. Yeah.
1: Well, in this one, uh, Pillman was amongst a few guys who just went and visited and hung out with Vince. Uh, he was there with, uh, the giant who we now know as big show, Ric Flair and the road warriors. And for those of you keeping a score at home, uh, those guys all work for Vince again in the coming years. Uh, not too long after this, there's a tag match where there's a really weird exchange.
0: Yeah, but it wasn't like they came and hung out in the booth. I was there for that. And they, they did come by and say hello. Uh, you know, they all came and said hello. And, um, as a matter of fact, I, I was in their booth, uh, saying hello. Uh, to Rick and what have you. But, uh, I remember specifically, um, Mike Eggstrand, the giant and Pillman coming over and saying hello. And, but it wasn't like they hung out in our booth or anything like that. Okay. This was kind of a quick, Hey, how you doing?
1: Hey guys, are you looking for the perfect father's day gift idea? I was, and I found it at paint your life with paint your life. You'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother your father or both you see paint your life transform your photos into a one-of-a-kind hand-painted portrait done by professional artists you can upload photos of anything you can imagine you choose the artists and the art medium they've even got great frames it all takes less than five minutes to get started and you can get your portrait in as little as two weeks you can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com, and there's no risk if you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 87204. That's WRESTLE to 87204. Text WRESTLE to 87204. Paint Your Life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com terms for details well, all right. There's clearing up some rumors and innuendo straight from the horse's mouth. Um, oh, back to the tag match. Aaron Anderson's tagging with Brian Pillman. They're the horsemen, of course. Uh, and they're tagging against Sullivan and Hugh Morris. And all of a sudden, Sullivan and Pillman just don't sell for each other. They start swinging, uh, pulling chokes, trying to gouge each other's eyes out. Maybe it's a big miscommunication. Uh, but given the comment a few weeks before and the fact that Pillman had a huge argument after the match and stormed out. People started talking, uh, so at the next universal studios, taping Bischoff holds a meeting for all the boys and all the talents there. Pillman pops off to Bischoff. So Bischoff fires back saying that Pillman's lucky just to have a job, but he probably won't have it for long. So Pillman just keeps to himself for the rest of the tapings and doesn't really co-mingle with anybody. And around this time Sullivan goes on TV and breaks a pencil during a promo, uh, which was to signify that, you know, this is real. Uh, so by the time we're going to super brawl that February, a lot of the boys are starting to believe that Brian's going into business for himself and they have booked him in a respect match, which is basically an, I quit match, except with the strap and Pillman just runs to the ring with the strap. Doesn't even hook it up, uh, and starts swinging. And then they do a couple of stiff shots to each other. Uh, well, it looks like a real punch and some shoot kicks. And then Pillman chases the ref down, grabs the mic, and says, I respect you, Booker Man, and then walked out, flipping the bird in the process to whatever fans could see him. Uh, So people started to freak out a little. Jimmy Hart, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, they're out there trying to make chicken salad. Well, you know. Uh, But in the back, Bischoff and Pillman get into a cussing match in front of everybody, and Pillman says something like, sorry it wasn't 12 minutes, and then leaves the building with Benoit, And he's out of there before Sullivan comes back. And he doesn't go to Nitro the next night. He just flies home. So now some of the boys start to question whether or not this is a shoot. But supposedly the referee, the commentators, the production truck, no one was smartened up. So they had to stretch the show to fill time. And that caused some last-minute chaos that I'm sure everybody settled into during Nitro. Uh, Six days after this respect match, though, Pillman shows up at the ECW Arena. And he shows up backstage in a LaParka mask and acts like he doesn't speak English, working the boys, and they do the old ECW lights-off gimmick, and then he's in the ring when they come back on. He gets a huge pop. He runs down Bischoff. People are loving it, and he starts laying into the smart marks, which I think is probably the first time that had been said on TV. He threatens to pee in the ring. uh, He beats up a planted fan. um, Paul Heyman, Todd Gordon, and Shane Douglas run him off, and he uses a fork on that fan, by the way. And then this all sets up a feud with Dallas or I'm sorry, with Douglas, uh, in the future and the entire trip he's in Philadelphia. He's, you know, keeping this character, WCW announces, uh, the next week that he's fired and they actually give him a legitimate release. And some folks, you know, would later say he's still on the payroll, but the real legal team sends a real termination letter. So it looks legit. And the attorneys on staff don't know this is supposed to be an angle between just Bischoff and Pillman. Uh, Everybody thinks it's legit. So the WCW hotline reports that Pillman is hiring a lawyer to get his job back with WCW and even goes so far as to edit all of his syndicated matches off. Uh, and around this time, this seems like it's the talk of the business, Bruce, what was your recollection of what guys were saying on the WWF side?
0: Well, first of all, ninety nine percent of the stuff that you just you know went over was a work, and sure. you know Eric and those guys and, and Kevin they, they knew and, and that was all the work. It was beautiful work because they didn't smarten everybody up, and Brian did stay in character. And after all of that happened uh, through Paul Heyman, um, Pillman had reached out to us, and as I said before, uh, Jr and Pillman were friends Elliot Pollack who was Brian's attorney and agent had reached out to us and we started talking um he got a he got a legit release from WCW Brian had effectively worked himself into a shoot he you know he got Eric to agree to do this deal and to give him the release to show everybody it was legit And so that he could show everybody, hey, they really did release me, and I'm a free agent. And his release, in effect, was official, and it was legally binding. So we were able to negotiate with him. At the same time, we made sure that, you know, Paul Heyman was using him in ECW. He had a place to go. He had a place to go and work in between. So Paul Paul could be Switzerland.
1: Did he set up the Paul Heyman ECW deal or did you guys set that up from your memory?
0: That was Paul. And, and but Paul helped us with Pillman to, to get Brian just in general. And we were interested in Brian, but Paul was like, yeah, well, hell yeah. I want to use him. You know, the timing was great. It really worked out well for ECW. And it also got us, you know, an end to Brian as well. Now, not knowing Brian, there was that that you know unknown factor because Brian was doing a lot of crazy shit at the time, and people didn't know what was reality and and what was work. Vince was a little concerned until you know we actually finally got to meet Brian and realized that this is a really bright young man who has a hell of a head on his shoulders and knew what the hell he was doing and was creating his own hype. I mean, he had the people within the business buying his shit. Right. He, he, the, the best thing, you know, I've, I've talked about before, how, how I used to know when a guy was getting over was when Stone Cold and The Rock started bitching about him. Right. And telling me how they would never get over. And all of a sudden you go, oh, shit, top guys are noticing. <laughs> Maybe this is working. So when the guys in the back start selling, and the guys in the back believe it, and the guys in the back are talking about it, then you realize you're on to something. Everybody was talking about Brian Pillman. He had worked himself into a shoot, and he got himself into a situation where he could legally negotiate with the other company. And on one side, he's telling WCW, hey, man, no, this is great for you guys because everybody thinks I'm going to WWF. Uh, With us, we're telling, hey, man, I'm done there. They gave me the release. I don't want to go to work for them. And then with Paul, he's like, hey, Paul, you got me, man. I'm a gold mine. You know, let's uh, let's use this to the hilt. And right at the height of all that, right when he's, he's getting ready to uh, make a move and do something, he has the automobile accident.
1: Let's get to that. Um, I, I want to circle back to when he so, talked about when top guys start noticing. So at this point, you know, let's run through this. We are fresh off of he's fired, he's out of here, and then he's in ECW, but apparently the top guy in WCW, Hulk Hogan noticed that Pillman's getting over, so he wants to work with him and to appease Hulk, they bring him back to feud with Hogan and be one of the heels in that horrible uncensored pay-per-view where they did like the triple cage of doom with Macho and Hogan against 972 opponents Uh, and then conveniently Um, you know, Pillman finds a way to get out of that, uh, based on a medical excuse. Uh, And the hotlines are doing big business. Just like Bruce talked about there, the hotlines and newsletters are blowing up and Pillman actually wants to monetize that a little bit and start his own like one 900 Pillman style hotline and brokers a deal with ECW in exchange for that. So, uh, eventually imagine this. Uh, Pillman had a falling out with Paul Heyman over money and quit CCW over it. Uh, apparently ECW had agreed to cover some production costs for a TV commercial for the hotline as part of the deal. But then of course, Heyman sent him a bill for like seven grand. Uh, they did do some pretty controversial stuff on ECW TV and I'm sure I'm curious if you saw any of this Bruce, um, like, uh, like Austin before him, Austin went on there and did a Hulkamania skit and he did a. Monday night and I skit. Well, Pillman's on here wrestling a pencil, uh, pretending to be the booker of a restaurant and spitting in what is quote unquote, Gary justers food. Uh, and he's under WCW contract for all this, by the way. Um, do you remember seeing any of those skits? Was any of that interesting or relative or whatever? Do you,
0: the only thing that I really and truly remember was the thing where he debuted in the ring out of the dark with Joey styles in the ring and threatened to P. Yeah. take his penis out and all that stuff. So that's something I really remember.
1: Um, comical stuff here. Uh, Pillman comes out on nitro in the crowd in March, uh, holding up the number to his hotline, but Bischoff hadn't smartened up the production people. Cause they're still trying to work everybody. So the cameraman intentionally avoid it and try not to shoot it it's only on TV for just a second um the WCW contract that WCW was offering to Pillman at this point because his real contract was about to expire even though they had just technically released him uh he's doing this at uh, this whole loose cannon thing in an effort to get himself a bigger deal obviously well they're offering like 225 is the number that has been circulated and Pillman wants like double that. He's looking for more like half a million. And then as Bruce alluded to in the middle of all this, uh, you know, that's in March when all that's happening on April 15th, 1996, everything changes. Uh, Pillman has an H one Hummer, the big military style SUVs and he runs off the road in Kentucky and hits a tree stump. Uh, he was doing like 70 and a 45 falls asleep at the wheel and then rolls the truck he's thrown in a field about 40 feet away. Loses a ton of blood is listed in critical condition and released like four days later from a Cincinnati area hospital. Uh, but his ankle was obliterated in the crash to the point where it was literally turned 180 degrees the wrong way. And to put it back together, they were like taking bone from his hip to use it in his ankle, uh, he had to have plastic surgery on his face like cheekbones and four steel plates and wiring his jaw shut and lots and lots of stuff here, but this wasn't his first ankle injury. He got that in his football career. And that's technically what ended his football career. So two days after this wreck, the original WCW contract, that he had technically gotten a release from, but been paid the entire time for ended. Uh, and now he's laid up with this bad ankle. So from your recollection Uh, when does this meeting with Vince happen? I have it in my notes that it happened at the end of May. Would that have been the first time you guys met with him?
0: Probably. So I I do remember the story. And again, this is hearsay and innuendo, but when Brian had the accident, uh, who the hell was it? DDP. I I don't remember who the hell it was, but I, I remember somebody going in to visit Brian in the hospital and talking about the fact that we had sent a huge bouquet of flowers and fruit and this huge basket to Brian's room, you know, as a get well deal, and WCW had sent nothing. So I don't yeah, I know that a deal was not done per se yet. But I, I I couldn't tell you the time frame. You know I'm horrible at that.
1: Sure. Well, uh, rumors and innuendo would lead you to believe that Vince meets with him uh, at the end of May, and Bischoff was scheduled to meet with him just a few days later. Were you in this meeting when he meets Vince, or you just hear about it?
0: I was in several of those meetings, but there there were several.
1: Well, here's my so, question. Is he showing up to this with a giant wrapped foot and a cast and all that?
0: Oh, his foot was, yeah, it was obliterated.
1: Is he trying to so, downplay it and act like he's good to go and in three months he'll be fine type shit?
0: Well, I mean, he was saying that he would be good. He wasn't, definitely wasn't good to go at the time. Sure. But he was definitely saying that when he healed, he would be 100% and it wouldn't hamper him at all. And he was an athlete. You know, he had a history of, of overcoming enormous odds his entire life since he was a kid, so there's no reason to doubt him. And his agent, we put you know conditions out there that are okay that things were contingent on you being able to go and what have you. Because we, we had been burned before.
1: Who had burned you before?
0: Um, you know, Dale Wilkes kind of burnt us. Um, Brian, he you know, he had, a hurt, had a hurt shoulder, and we didn't know about it until, until he was into his run.
1: That was later. that was the next year.
0: Okay, well he's the first one that comes to mind, but okay. there, there were you know there were times and Vince was just wanting to make sure that he kind of covered his ass. Okay.
1: well at this time Philman supposedly starts to lean towards the WWF uh, despite Bischoff giving in the latitude to even do this program in the first place, which I don't really understand. you would think that you had something you could trust and an ally in Bischoff here and it seems kind of dirty uh, but whatever. Uh, Vince is cool with him doing promos for ECW and then even working, um, you know, a blow-off match with Shane Douglas. Uh, and then the 1st of June, there is an ECW arena show, and Pillman's there in a wheelchair this time. Of course, crapping on the ECW fans, again, people riled up. But then he does something that I thought would have affected, you know, some of this, but I guess it didn't. He says the N-word when comparing the gangsters to the rap group NWA. Uh, new Jack supposedly flips out backstage and Pillman tries to calm him down, but can't fix it. So new Jack is threatening to walk out. Uh, Heyman talks him into staying, but new Jack demands to do a promo first, uh, to the crowd and Heyman agrees. So he buries Smokey mountain and says that Pillman is a racist and he, Jerome young new Jack's shoot name won't tolerate it in ECW. Uh, So then he says Pillman and Zink had gay sex in the showers during their time in WCW. So I don't know what that accomplished, but apparently New Jack felt like that evened it up. And then it was seemingly swept under the rug because that same week, Pillman and Bischoff verbally agreed to a million-dollar deal over the course of three years. And the paperwork that Brian received from WCW said that WCW had the option to release him every quarter. Is that something you were familiar with as a common clause, Bruce? This, you know, we can end it every 90-day cycle or renew it?
0: I've seen those. Um, you know, I, I'm not really that familiar with, with their contracts off the top of my head, but I've seen those clauses before. It's, they're not really that extraordinary.
1: Well, and at this point, you know, a lot of guys would hear that and say, well, that's not fair. Well, the guy's ankles turned backwards he may not even be able to wrestle so it's fair to me let's do it in 90 day increments until we know you can actually work but apparently pillman didn't like that uh, and that they didn't agree to fly him first class um so he continues to negotiate with vince mcmahon meanwhile bischoff thinks that they have a verbal agreement and he's just waiting on the paperwork to be returned uh but of course Less than a week later, Pillman signs a three-year deal with the WWF. And this starts to feel like a momentum shift because Mark Merrill had just left WCW a few months earlier uh, and signed with the WWF. And this comes on the heels of a lot of big stars leaving the WWF and going to WCW. So this feels like a momentum swing a little bit now. Uh, And Pillman would later say that he felt like there were less politics in the WWF and they were more open-minded to someone his size being on top, given that Brett and Sean were the two most recent champs, lots of silly rumors here, Bruce, just shoot this one down quickly. There was never any talk about Brian filming, having a bunch of plastic surgery to look like Sean Michaels, right?
0: <laughs> no,
1: that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But we actually got that question a, a few times. Uh, and Here's what I really want to talk about. I know you hate talking about money, but this is out there and this is all really about money at this point for Brian. It's believed that this was one of the first handful of contracts that used the phrase downside guarantee. Uh, maybe not the first, maybe not the second, but it's amongst the first few, that downside guarantee. And we all know that that phrase now from the current business. What's your recollection about downside guarantees as it relates to Brian Pillman?
0: Well, obviously, I'm not going to get into figures. But, yeah, Brian was offered a downside guarantee. At that time, we were making the shift. We had to compete. And when you're competing with a company that, at the time, there were no guarantees in any of the WWF contracts. So Turner had started guaranteeing guys money whether they worked or not and they knew how much money they were going to make. It was, you know, it's not revolutionary in business, but it sure as hell was in our business because we had never done it before. So to combat that and be able to attract talent who's saying, hey, well, down south, they're telling me exactly how much I'm going to make per year. And all you're telling me is that I'll make $25 every time I work TV, and I've got opportunity. So at that point in time, we had, been making the shift to downside guarantees where the concept was a talent would be paid for example uh, if your downside guarantee was $100,000 you knew that in a one year period the least amount of money that you will make in that one year period would be $100,000 you would still be paid off of the houses You will st- you would still be paid all the traditional ways,
1: but no less than 100. Right. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, but the, the opportunity, the upside was on the other side of that. If you, if you actually, the houses and business were good and your merchandise and everything else was good, you could double it, triple it, quadruple it, whatever. There was no limit on the upside.
1: Uh, when this gets out that Pillman has one of these downside guarantee contracts, um, supposedly it pisses off a lot of the boys who are old school and on existing deals and don't think he's proven himself as a draw to warrant a big contract. Do you remember that being an issue?
0: Well, the downside contracts in general were a big issue at that point. So a lot of guys were in the process of transitioning it wasn't okay. Well, Brian Pillman's got one and, and nobody else is going to get one uh it was he was there that was just the transitional period at that point in time so it was one of those deals where you know yeah he's one of the first ones the rest of the guys we were working through and negotiating and trying to get to the point of what their downsides were going to be brian jumped to the head of the line because he was a new guy coming in so it made sense that you know, rather than start him off with no guarantee because we were negotiating against a real guarantee, um, he was one of the first.
1: Um, even though he's signed, he's still working an angle here and he doesn't want word getting out that he signed with the WWF <laughs> and he's booked himself on independent shows, but he tells an independent promoter the truth uh, so that promoter could offer refunds at the door and he still agrees to do an interview phoned in over the PA system, just for the fans and denies being a WWF contracted performer. As it happens, your favorite Terry Taylor, who works for WCW is booked on this show and was there. So immediately everyone in the business knows that he signed with the WWF Was that a shock to you.
0: I, I do not remember that incident at all. So I, I don't know enough about that to comment.
1: Okay. Uh, they're going to debut Pillman on raw. His first official, we're finally here. He's in the WWF. Uh, they officially debut him on raw, the press conference. Lots of folks are there. Gorilla Monsoon, Doc Hendricks, JJ Dillon. Uh, it starts off kind of calm and then he takes over and says he's Brian F and Pillman and he's the loose cannon. And he refers to people as Mr. Suit. And he's ratings, he's a star, and then they have WWF, you know, representatives on camera saying that they should get out of this contract as quickly as possible because they can't control him. Really trying to get over the loose cannon deal. And the segment ends with a snippet from Pillman saying he does whatever the hell he wants whenever he wants to, but in less, you know, than a week, just a few days later, he's back in the hospital with complications from this ankle surgery. He's got a really bad fever He's hooked up to IVs. He's not in a good way. Uh, King of the Ring is his first live appearance, June 96. Well, hang on.
0: Hang on. Go back for a second. Yes, sir. Did, did you watch recently? Did you watch that uh, press conference? Yes. Did you notice anybody else that was up at the front table that was kind of funny when you look at it today?
1: I missed it. Who was it?
0: D'Lo Brown. AC Connor.
1: Wow, you know what? I did see that. I I don't know. I didn't put that in my notes, but I do. Remember I saw that.
0: I saw that, and I laughed my ass. I was like, "Oh my god, AC was there. That was cool."
1: Why was he there?
0: Uh, he was he was local at the time, and he was one of those guys that you know was around, looked good in a suit, and
1: he just an extra him up that there. Guy. That's cool.
0: Yeah, Osper um, de Arce was there too. Okay, enough about him.
1: Uh, June 96, King of the Ring, Pillman comes out uh, on crutches to do an interview and he's doing his loose cannon stuff and he passes Steve Austin in the aisle and they don't acknowledge it on commentary, uh, but these two guys look at each other and it's clearly a tease uh, that they know each other. Of course, they were tag champs together in WCW. Uh, June 24th, this was maybe one of the first things of the Attitude Era. I think you could probably say it was one of the first things. June 24th, 1996, Pillman shows up to confront Vince McMahon, the commentator, ringside prior to an Austin Undertaker match on Raw and says something like, who the hell do I need to talk to to get my goddamn money? I've been with this promotion for over a week. You've reaped the windfall from my signing. Uh, This is a pretty big deal. Uh, for somebody to a, be talking about money like this to Vince and acknowledging, you know, that he is who he is. Uh, and then saying my goddamn money, uh, whose idea is this? Is this a Russo thing? Is this Pillman getting it approved with Vince ahead of time? Carry me through whose idea that was and that language at the time.
0: You know, that was one of those things. It, it was hit or miss with Vince a lot of times. It's, it's kind of like Kevin Nash flipping off The Undertaker at uh, at one of the pay-per-views. It, it was just one of those hit or miss, what if we did this? And it was a way to get across the, the loose cannon deal. And at the same time, it was an effort, at least on my part, um, to try to get Vince to be a little more real, if that makes any sense. Because Vince saw himself as the TV commentator. Vince saw himself as the play-by-play guy and felt that the majority of our audience saw him only as the play-by-play guy and the host. And that's what he had to be. And it was frustrating because while he was doing that, Also, in mainstream media, you know, you had people, he was the owner of the company, (laughs) and owner of the WWF, but you got President Jack Tunney and President Gorilla Monsoon and this and that and, and so on and so forth. So it was confusing to me, and it was just an effort to try to get a little more reality and Raw being live when it was live, just more unpredictability.
1: Uh, one of the ideas that was supposed the rumors and the innuendo, um, they're bound that the WWF is kicking around the idea of trying to play a little monkey see monkey do with WCW's top angle at the time. And they want to do like their own invasion angle. And this time it will be old WCW talent instead of old WWF talent. So evil Jim Ross, uh, would have fake razor and fake diesel. And then joining them would be perhaps Brian Pillman, Steve Austin, Vader, Mankind, Hunter Hurst-Helmsley, Farouk, and others to face Team WWF. Do you remember that ever being discussed?
0: Day, that's just such bullshit. Um, no. And I don't, yeah, I don't think we've ever discussed this on here. I, I know I discussed it at the debate I did with Eric Bischoff in Philadelphia. Razor and Diesel were intellectual properties, the trademarks were owned by the WWF. So when Scott Hall and Kevin Nash left the WWF to go to WCW and do the whole NWO thing as the outsiders and Hall and Nash, that we we were getting feedback in, that, oh, my God, you know, uh, Razor and Diesel have left, and Razor and Diesel are on WCW. And it was one of those deals that they portrayed Hall and Nash as Diesel and Razor without ever actually calling them by name Razor and Diesel. You know, if you remember for a long time, they didn't refer to them as Hall or Nash either. They, they didn't have any name. It just said, we know who you are, we know why you're here. So, legally, the discussion came up as to how to protect our trademarks, and Jerry McDivitt uh, said, well, you own the name, you own the gimmick, create another Razor, create another diesel. That was the sole purpose, that was the reasoning behind uh, the fake Razor and the fake diesel, was to... Just go ahead and in, be able to legally prove our ownership and our trademark ownership of, of Razor and Diesel, and there wasn't you know any invasion angle or to do an NWO or anything like that. It was simply to say no, WWF owns Razor and WWF owns Diesel, and to steal a little bit you know the Thunderback because at that time man they were making noise and you know people were changing the channel and going over to, uh, TNT to see razor and diesel haul and Nash. The so con- that was the idea behind the, the, uh, Rick Bogner and Glenn Jacobs razor diesel deal.
1: Uh, Friday, September 6th, they have a Friday raw special where raw had been preempted on Monday. And on this Friday raw deal, they have Pillman on commentary uh, they're trying to look for something for him to do since they've had him for a few months now. And on the show, he teases, he will interview Brent Hart at the Mind Games pay-per-view, uh, which was the September 96 pay-per-view in Philadelphia. And this is before Bret had even announced he was returning to the WWF. Around this time, Bret is in South Africa working some predetermined dates, uh, previously agreed to dates rather. Um, and he makes it clear on that tour that he will not be at the pay-per-view. So this just continues to further this blurred line angle since nobody really knew uh what brett was doing um
0: i think well just clear that up i think brett was also doing sinbad at the time the um, television series sinbad
1: yeah pillman that's why
0: he was down there
1: in south africa
0: yeah and we had we had event going events and stuff going on down there but he he was spent a lot of time in south africa doing sinbad
1: uh, and on that show, it's recently been released on the, on the network. If you'd like to see it on hidden gems, we've talked about this match before. Uh, you can check this out. It's a Bret Hart, Steve Austin match before their survivor series match. It's worth going out of your way to see. Uh, Pillman comes out for the Bret Hart interview that didn't take place at mind games and says he's, uh, and this time he's no longer on crutches. He seems to be walking a little better. Uh, and he brings out Owen who said that Brett was afraid of Austin Austin came out and did a promo on Brett saying, if you put the S in front of Hitman, that's what Brett Hart is. Uh, the next, uh, time we see Pillman, he is interviewing Austin, uh, about Brett. And at one point it was rumored that the WWF had maybe toyed with the idea of having Brian Pillman, um, team with Brett or work with Brett uh, at this time, talking about how Stu Hart was like Pillman's father figure since they had this dungeon thing um in the background but somewhere around here they realize the ankle is not healing properly and this sounds really painful and i want to hear your take on this bruce they needed to re-break it in order to get it to heal properly which would mean several months maybe like six or seven on the sidelines so they decided to make an angle out of it right before the scheduled surgery which makes sense And on Sunday, October 27th, on Superstars, Pillman interviews Austin in the ring, and Pillman has a cane with him here. Austin reminds Pillman how excited he was to see Brett announce his return on Raw, Uh, and they cut to a clip of them watching it on a monitor in the back. And this all comes after months and months of Austin calling Brett out. So Austin calls Pillman a crippled freak and references carrying Pillman to a world title and Pillman hurting his pocketbook, blah, blah, blah. And when they're done, Pillman starts to refer to Brett as the best there is. And you know, the rest. So Austin attacks him in the ankle. Uh, when did you first hear, Hey, we've had this guy now for damn near six months, his ankle's still not better. And now we've got to re-break it and start all over again. What's the, how does Vince take that? Is this busy is pissed off? Is he disappointed? Does he understand? Does he, I mean, wh- wh- what's the emotion?
0: Well, we're obviously disappointed, but it, it's one of those situations where we understood when we got into this thing with the accident and the ankle being what it was, you know, shortly after that the damn thing got infected and he was had to have antibiotics all the time. It, it was it was a bad it was a bad injury and I think everyone knew the risk. Everyone knew the risk of putting him back out there and maybe rushing it too soon. So the suggestion was made by doctors that they needed to go back in and they needed to essentially reset the ankle. And to do that, they had to go back in and re-break the ankle and reset it. And we figured, well, that's a lesser of two evils because if he continues to try to work on it and he continues to try to go, it's only going to get worse. So the best case scenario was to do this surgery and get it taken care of, bite the bullet and go on because he could do other things. He <laughs> still had his mouth, you know, and he could go out and have him do commentary and, and cut promos, but might as well make the best of a bad situation.
1: I love that. You said bite the bullet considering what we're about to talk about before we get oh, there.
0: Wow. No pun intended.
1: Um, it, it stuck out to me like a sore thumb around this time. You know, because he was walking with a cane and then, you know, Austin, you know, beats him up uh, and really focuses on the ankle. Jim Ross, Mr. Perfect, Vince McMahon, Steve Austin, everybody, and this really stands out now when you watch it in 2016, is referring to Pillman as a cripple. And the, you just, I mean, that would not wow. happen. But everybody's like, he's a cripple. He's just crippled. He's a cripple. Um, the locker room empties during this angle to save Pillman. And this was done really well. Uh, and it, uh, what's what's lost here in context, what we need to remind you about, is this is all just to build the Brett angle. Brett's coming back, and he's going to face Austin at Survivor Series. Austin's been calling him out for a long time. And now Brett's answered the challenge. But he hasn't wrestled on television since WrestleMania 12. Brett, that is. Um, the quote for this segment to wrap up from Jim Ross is, If Austin will do this to a friend, what will he do to Bret Hart at Survivor Series? So the next day, now we're getting to the heavy lifting. Uh, On Raw, they're teasing a live interview from the studios with Austin. uh, And in a bumper, they have Vince teased with a graphic. Next week via satellite, joining us will be the injured Brian Pillman, who will be joining us uh, from his home in Cincinnati, Ohio. Austin takes issue with this announcement that he has to do his interview from the studios but the WWF goes to Brett's house, and then they go to Pillman's house. Why don't they just come to his house in Victoria, Texas? Uh, he says, he explains the Pillman attack, he being Austin. That's a
0: good point. I I would have much rather been in Texas than been in Ohio or Calgary. That's for damn sure. Who wouldn't? I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Who wouldn't? Um, Austin says Pillman took his time to talk, took his interview time to talk about Brett Hart, and that just wouldn't work. Uh, and then they show footage of Austin stopping the ambulance from leaving with Pillman. They asked why he stopped them. And Austin says, if they're going to take him, they need to take him to the cemetery. And if he comes back, that's where he's going to go. Uh, Lawler asks if Austin is really going to Pillman's house next week. Austin says that WWF has jerked him around long enough and he has to do what he's got to do. Uh, McMahon says, what type of man does this to his best friend? And Austin says, maybe for the first time. Uh, DTA don't trust anybody, which became one of his catchphrases, uh, in his meteoric rise, when Vince asks why gorilla hasn't done something, they blur the lines again. Austin says something like, why don't you do something, Vince? You're really the one calling the shots around here. You're the boss. You don't want to miss out. You want to fill your back pocket full because you're a greedy promoter. Uh, and then he attacks a studio production assistant and security. So they have the cops follow him to the door and when he gets outside, the cops are waiting for him, uh, as the show goes off the air. So whose idea is this angle? Um, what we're about to do or about to talk about what's next, whose idea is this? How does this first come up? Um, and then, you know, this acknowledgement of Vince as the owner. This feels reality based, sort of like a Vince Russo idea.
0: Yeah, Russo wasn't he wasn't in he was working with us at the time, but he wasn't uh mostly the magazine. He was kinda of on the fringe, yeah. He was on the fringe. But but he was he was helping out at the time. No, this was <laughs> yeah, this was kinda of mainly Vince.
1: Uh, mainly Vince with what we're about to talk about, or mainly Vince with the acknowledging and blurring the line about where's my goddamn money and you're a greedy promoter and
0: you're Blurring, blurring the lines and the reality based was, you know, that, that was Vince. He liked, he liked to do that. He, he started getting into that a little bit more. And again, it depended on what day of the week it was and how he felt at the time. So
1: it's worth mentioning. This is coming on the heels of some pretty realistic looking NWO stuff. Uh, if you remember, you know, when they attacked, um, they being the NWO attacked Mysterio in Florida and Nash lawn darted him into the production truck, uh, the real cops were called. And so there, there's a lot of reality-based stuff going on in the competition. Uh, so here
0: we are. The real cops were called. We were about to do too. November
1: 4th, 1996. (laughs) And we're finally here. Uh, and I want you to clear this up, Bruce. The rumors here are that the, uh, WWF wanted to push that raw had a new time slot and it was an hour earlier and they were going to try to compete with Nitro because at this point they're still taping, uh, the raws in advance. And they wanted to do. We, a, we were doing every other raw. Yeah. They wanted to do a live angle every week, even though the the show was already taped. So obviously this was done in effect to compete with WCW who's winning, but you guys really want to start this new time spot with a bang. Um, literally, oh, there was a pun intended there, Pally. Uh, this angle finishes third and the wrestling observers, uh, most disgusting tactic award. Oh Gosh, we
0: weren't number one.
1: Well, you get there, uh, if, next year. We'll talk about that before we're done. Uh, and raw this week on November 4th starts with Kevin Kelly outside of Pillman's real home in suburban Cincinnati. They promised it was Cincinnati the week before, or, you know, they said they did, I guess they promised that, but it's actually Walton, Kentucky. And that's uh,
0: Cincinnati it's, it's by it's yeah, Cincinnati. Right. It's like across the, across the bridge or whatever.
1: Uh, probably, but, probably more favorable taxes. If I had to guess. Probably. Uh, Kevin Kelly says that Pillman is home alone with his wife and the kids are at their grandparents in case Austin really does show up. I find this interesting. Um, gold dust is wrestling. Barry Windham as the stalker. And we're going to take a timeout right there. Barry Windham is in the WWF. One of the all time great in-ring performers. And you guys make him the fucking stalker who booked this shit. I did. Can't wait to hear this story. Tell me how a guy who goes 60 minutes with Rick, uh, with, uh, the nature boy, Ric Flair puts on a five-star Broadway match. And it's just a natural by everybody, by every account from every performer who's ever been in the business. And you guys say, Hmm, just make him a stalker.
0: No, Vince was looking for a gimmick for Barry. He didn't feel that Barry was Barry was that colorful and didn't have a whole lot of personality. And When we were talking to Barry about coming back, I was talking to Barry about what what he does and, you know, what what do you do in your free time, man? Tell me about what you're doing when you're not in the ring. And he had all this land outside of Georgia, and he just went out there and hunt and fish. And he talked about how he would, like, stalk animals. (laughs) And I was like, okay, well, shit, so you're a stalker. Yeah, that's what I do. And we went out and shot some vignettes with him. It was a lot of fun. I, I love Barry to death, man. What a great talent. Um, not one of the greatest gimmicks in the world. But, you know, what it was is is we had a box. And it said box of gimmicks, and there was one that said stalker. And when Barry called, that's what was up.
1: So help me understand. You, go to, you shoot these vignettes on Barry's land in Georgia? Yeah. And you shoot them at night, if I remember right.
0: All day and all night. Yeah.
1: So, here in the fucking woods in Georgia, shooting and everybody guns. and everybody's got guns. And you think, yeah, this is going to get over. <laughs>
0: yeah, I didn't say that. Um,
1: what were you thinking as you did you shoot this knowing at the time, like, man, this idea sounded good on paper. But as I'm out here in the fucking woods in Georgia, I realize oh, this is not good.
0: You can't win them all.
1: So you knew it was a stinker right away, but you were already invested, and now we're just going to see it through and just bury the guy and, you know.
0: Barry liked it. And I wanted it to work for Barry. I really did.
1: But you this is your idea. But you knew it was shit, but he liked it, so you wanted to write it out.
0: I felt, you know, give it a shot. I've, I've done worse.
1: When you showed this tape to Vince... What's it sound like? What's he say?
0: I don't remember. Okay. Well, uh, you know, it wasn't some of my best work. Let me put it that way. Well, we tried, you know, we tried, and uh, he wanted something different, so we did something different.
1: How did that end? How did that run end with Barry Windham? What the fuck are we talking about the goddamn stalker? Pillman's about to pull a gun here. Because I don't know, when we're going to talk about the stalker ever again.
0: I was waiting for that. You know that that's going to just set Twitter afoul about
1: Hey, I don't know when we'll talk about the stalker again. So tell me the finish <laughs> of the fucking story. How shit was this, man? You got Barry Windham and you're painting him up and making him wear a WWF shirt and camouflage pants. And that
0: was Barry, man. Those that was, that was all that part. That was all Barry.
1: Was there stalker merchandise?
0: I believe so. Yeah,
1: like a T-shirt
0: i think yeah i think god. the t-shirt
1: if you have a picture of a stalker t-shirt we're gonna need you to tweet at the show at pritchard show i need to see this thing uh how does this run end it feels like you know
0: thank god he it just, just did one. i think i think after that didn't we go into the blackjack the
1: new blackjacks and then yeah. you just mercy killed him
0: yeah this is a shame because barry was great
1: he really is i mean that to me but is
0: is he's another one with a great mind too
1: I, I, how is this possible? I mean, that's I'm not trying to beat you up. I just don't understand. You, you just said, hey, God, what a great performer. And everything you guys did with him just fucking sucked.
0: You know, I, I just don't know that, that Vince saw it in him. He really don't. Sometimes if, if, you know, the boss doesn't see it, it ain't going to happen.
1: He just thought he was a Southern hillbilly redneck wrestler.
0: No, he just didn't feel that Barry had a whole lot of personality. He was one of those guys kind of like Arn Anderson, a lot of personality in the back, but when he got in front of the camera, didn't have that same personality that transcended.
1: I'm going to let you sit here and disparage the good goddamn name of Arn Anderson, gold dust and the stalker are having a match on raw and doc Hendricks is in studio and calls in and interrupts Vince and says he has Austin on the phone and Austin has gotten a rental car from the Cincinnati airport. Where he's just landed and now he is headed to Brian Pillman's house. Uh in the middle of the promo, Austin says Uh in the book of Austin twenty five seventeen, it says I will strike down upon your ass with great vengeance and furious anger, which is clearly borrowing from the pulp fiction line. Would that have been something that he just did on his own, or would that have been a Vince line that he fed him and wanted him to use? Cause it doesn't no, seem like that Vince. was that was that was Steve. Yeah. Uh, Lawler tells Austin that Pillman or warns Austin, Pillman has friends around the house and maybe for the first time ever, Austin says he has a six pack of whoop ass riding shotgun with him and he ain't worried about Brian Pillman's friends. Uh, Lawler says, quote, Pillman says he has a gun there. And later McMahon in a very hushed tone says, well, we're not talking about something in the wrestling world. This is trespass. Austin says he can do whatever he wants because he's a big star, and Vince will just have to fix it for him. Uh then they go back to Kevin Kelly. He says that's an extremely tense situation at the house, and, and it was. And now he's inside buried. the house. Uh and he asks Brian what the prognosis of Pillman's injury is after the savage, unprovoked attack on the ankle by Austin last week on superstars. Uh and he mentions that Brian had reconstructive surgery on it. Pillman says 97 looks fine, but what the prognosis should be about is Austin. Uh, he says he's been in bitter feuds in the business before, but there's a fine line between business and personal and Austin has made this personal and there's a whole different set of rules there. Uh, McMahon then comes over the mic and speaks to Pillman and says that Austin is circling the neighborhood and asks, does he feel vulnerable with his wife there? Uh, Pillman says he's Austin's best friend and Austin is the one who should feel vulnerable because Pillman knows all his strengths, weaknesses, and fears. And then here we go. Vince asks if Pillman feels like a hostage in his own home. And Pillman says, Steve is a dead man walking because when Austin three sixteen meets Pillman nine millimeter Glock, I will send his sorry ass straight to hell. And he moves the slide back as he's doing this. Uh, and they you know, cut away. Talk me through. You're there in the room when this is happening. Oh yeah. So,
0: well, you know, we, we go back and, and we had, had this idea. We wanted to do this live. So Vince and I had flown down, uh, to Cincinnati and gone to the suburbs of Cincinnati and Kentucky. I don't know how the fuck Kentucky is a suburb of Cincinnati, but I guess it is. And we went to Brian's house, met with Brian and Melanie, and, you know, looked at the house and looked at what we wanted to do and pitch this crazy idea. Brian loved it. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is, is history. So um, we we got in touch with the authorities ahead of time. I real, let them know.
1: Real quick, was this Brian's personal gun? Yeah. Okay. Continue. You got a hold of the authorities.
0: So we got a hold of the authorities. We, we let them know what we were doing. We, we got a hold of the local authorities there um, to tell them, that, hey, we're going to be on live TV. You may be getting calls from people outside of the jurisdiction. You may be getting calls from people from all over the country. Uh, we also informed the Cincinnati Police Department. So, any, anybody within a radius of, of where we were, we let them know hey, this is entertainment. This is what we're doing. The guy's going to have a gun. Um, this is all entertainment, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, treated accordingly. So, you know, we, we just kind of laid it all out. And, and it was live, live. And we had walked through it earlier in the day and decided exactly, you know, how we were going to shoot it, where people were going to be, <laughs> what they were going to do, so on and so forth. And I just remember that night as we, you know, get night goes on and it gets dark and it started to get a little uh, chillier um, outside and <laughs> we had that damn little pool there. I remember that and just thinking – you know, God, I don't want to buy a bunch of cars either because I know Steve and we had a couple cars in the driveway for Steve to throw people into. I didn't really want to buy a garage door either, but I figured, well, okay. And I knew, and I knew I had the okay from Vince that whatever we need to do, we do. So we, we go through the whole, the whole deal and, and Brian pulls out the gun and we go to break and everything's going terrific and all that shit. And we get to the point to where now it's time for Steve to come in. Right. We have, we have the whole fight out in the parking the driveway.
1: Austin, when we come back from commercial, uh, right after this, Austin is beating up two guys in the driveway and these guys are supposed to be, of course, Pillman's friends, but they're actually students of Les Thatcher's school, who is a trainer. Uh, a former wrestler himself from the Midwest. And he's based uh, in that Ohio area. Uh, He puts one guy in a kiddie pool that Bruce just talked about, throws another guy onto a Jeep and squeezes his head in the door, uh, throws a guy in the garage door, as he says, hits him with a trash can and a tricycle and just whatever's laying around. And as he's doing all this, he's wearing Pillman's ECW t-shirt, he being Austin. And then he stomps around to the front uh, door, can't get in. So he stomps around to the back. Think about what's, what I'm about to say here. Then we cut away to Alex, the pug Porto wrestling, the Sultan managed by Bob Backlund. What the fuck is going on in the WWF at this point? Holy shit.
0: Uh, and then we cut back (laughs) later. Managed, managed by, it was the Sultan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You said that, right? Okay.
1: Uh, then we cut back to the house and Kevin Kelly is on the inside, just freaking out that they hear Austin coming around. Pillman now has both hands on the pistol and Melanie is screaming as Austin starts to break the glass on a door around the corner from the room they're in. And then Lawler starts screaming, "Will somebody call the police. And as Austin charges, Lawler screams, get out of there. Don't, 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 don't. And then we see Pillman stand up with a crazed look on his face and the gun pointed in Austin's direction. And then magically the feed is lost. Um, somewhere in here, he cursed um
0: no not yet
1: oh not yet you're right
0: no not yet so now the the the, here well and and then here's the story yeah there okay i'm inside the house so i'm on the other side of the way that the basement was laid out was where brian and melanie were and where the cameras were shooting one way and they could swing around they could see the door and i'm kind of back behind in the room but i had to hide behind a deal and we had a bat, and we we thought we knew what the hell the, the glass door was. Well, come to find out, the damn glass is that safety glass.
1: Oh, shit.
0: Oh, shit is right. You ever
1: hit safety glass? No, but it's not easy.
0: Well, it ain't easy, and it makes a horrible, horrible racket. And so when Steve whacked that glass the first time i'm like what the hell was that i thought a gunshot went off for real so
1: you're not in the room with them off camera
0: no i'm in i am in the room okay but steve's on the outside yeah steve's trying to break the door in to, to come inside and when he hits it with the thing it was like i'm expecting the glass to break and him to be barging inside at that point well the glass doesn't break and I, I can hear Steve on the outside kind of with an, Oh shit, <laughs> because now we've got, you know, that damn safety tempered glass that, that won't break. And he beats the piss out of that damn glass, finally caving it in and come in and on the inside. I'm half laughing my ass off because I know he's getting blown up on the outside <laughs> trying to beat this glass in, and then he's got to come in and we got to have the physicality and have everybody get involved on the inside. Brian is is panicking because Steve's not coming through, so Brian's like, "Well, shit, should I get up? Should I go, you know, and charge him and all this shit?" And I'm trying to be like, "Calm down, calm down. He'll get through. He'll and get through." This is live.
1: This is live. Oh, this
0: is live as live can get, man. Yeah. And so all this shit is breaking down. Finally, Steve breaks through and everybody, you know, gets in between them and, and we get him out and and so on and so forth. And we, we go to break with Brian and the gun. And then I guess we come back or something like that. And and that's where the, uh.
1: Yeah. So when, when the feed is lost, big man starts promising an, an update as soon as they have any word whatsoever. Uh, and they throw it to Jr., who's in the ring, and they say, "Now Jr. has no idea what's going on." Uh, and then he says that, and this is the I've heard this phrase before. And neither will Sid or Shawn Michaels, who've both been in our green room. Bear in mind, they're not reacting to this because this show's already been taped. The only thing that's live is what's happening in Walton, Kentucky. Uh, Lawler says it's better they don't know. And
0: no, the the voiceovers were live.
1: Well, I mean the actual performers, the videotape we're seeing.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, That's worth mentioning. Lawler and McMahon are in studio in Connecticut doing the voiceovers? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Live, live. And Lawler says it's better they don't know. And McMahon promises to interrupt this in a moment's notice once they get their satellite feedback. Uh, And McMahon says the producers have notified the authorities and that this was obviously a publicity stunt gone awry. And he hopes that no one's been hurt any more than we've seen. Now, here's where it starts to get interesting. McMahon says it's a fine line between reality, uh, and what is many times portrayed in the world wrestling Federation in a very hushed tone. He says this, uh, and then they go to a commercial after this Sid, Sean segment, we're building survivor series, 96 here. And immediately after this, this is what I found hilarious to me right after a guy pulls a gun on a guy, let's go to commercial. Well, let's run a commercial for the WWF theme music CD featuring a kid dressed up as the different characters. So he'll dress up like Shawn Michaels and he'll dress up like the undertaker. And then when we come back from commercial, well, let's recap, uh, Austin in the driveway. And then Austin coming into Pillman's house, pulling the gun and more static. And in between, of course, all of this, the little kids CD, which I think is hilarious. Uh, McMahon says that Austin has taken it too far and Lawler says he blames Pillman Uh, McMahon says how dare you and um, Lawler says he shouldn't have been there and WWF shouldn't have sent the cameras and and, and McMahon this is fun to me because this is just McMahon speak he says part of the responsibility falls on respective shoulders I don't know what respective shoulders are but uh, that's hilarious to me Uh, then we get Maybe the first time we've ever seen him on TV or heard him on TV during the Mark Merrow fake razor match, they have WWF director Kerwin Silfies call in and say he's in a satellite truck on the road in front of the house, about 50 feet from the house and that everything lost power all at once. The truck went dead. The house is totally dark and he has no idea what's happened, but all the other houses have lights. No one's come out of the house. Austin's car still in the driveway, but when everything went dead,
0: and uh, in real life, I got fucking cops coming down the uh, coming down the street. No sirens, but lights lights going. And I'm standing in the middle of the street, trying to say, you know, trying to go, "Hey man, it's cool. It's all cool. We got this. It's okay." <laughs> you know, we had called them.
1: Here's a silly question: Do Yeah you have, did, did did Walton, Kentucky require a permit for you to be filming there?
0: We were on private property.
1: Okay, I was just wondering, like, you know, would you hold up, when they come, you hold up like a sheet of paper and say, no, dude, it's just Hollywood shit. Here it is. Or
0: it, no, it's like, hey, don't, don't you know me? I, I used to be Brother Love. I, I used was going to gonna be say, older.
1: so instead, it's just a guy with a very red face and a white suit saying, like, nothing to see here. <laughs> Ten gold rings on, nothing to see here. Nothing to, nothing to see here. Go away. It's okay. <laughs> nothing to see here. Thank you. Go, go on your way. Um, so then when everything, here's what Crispy I am saying. Krispy Kreme lights on.
0: That was mean to say, okay, Justin Zimmerman is probably just right now, probably putting one in the chamber for me, but just kidding. Justin, I want police officers.
1: One in the chamber to Justin doesn't mean anything about a gun. Uh, gotcha. when everything went dead, uh, he heard something, he being Kerwin. He says, when everything went dead, I heard something that sounded like a, uh, a couple of explosions, I guess it could have been gunshots, uh, regarding the satellite feed. He says the guys are spooked and they don't want to leave the truck, but they're working on it. They go to commercial. And when they come back, Kerwin is back on the line. I hope you see what they're doing here. Uh, they're stretching this as long as they can. They want to keep people tuned in. They want the resolution. It's the Monday night wars. They've got a new time spot. So they're, they're just letting this dominate the entire show. Kerwin's back on the line. He says, everyone's still in the house and no one has come out, including the cameraman who was inside. The man asks if the authorities are there and Kerwin says, no. And he has no idea why the, the real answer is brother. Love is saying nothing to see here. Move along. <laughs> um, he says he's called them, but he says we're in the sticks. Uh, he also says one guy, we one guy's in the truck and one guy's working on the feed. Uh, but no one is interested in going back out there. So the feed coming back, isn't very likely. And then we hear Kerwin Kerwin yell, hey, and the phone drops. So Ross takes McMahon to task and says that Vince did this for ratings, and if something bad happens to the Pillman family, it's on Vince. Um, And then Lala tries to break it up and says something like, let's call the match, and Ross quips, boy, that would be nice for a change. And this entire time, Vince is continuing to tease. At the conclusion of this matchup, or at any point during the matchup, we will have an updated feed they show it for a third time the recap of what we've seen so far and Lawler can't help himself he says this is stupid twice and then Jim Ross says this is wrong and now we're back live and Kevin Kelly says power has been restored Vince guys everybody is here inside the house and we do not know where Stone Cold Steve Austin is Lawler asks if anyone was shot and I find this wording very interesting Kelly responds nobody has been shot Nobody was struck by any of the, um, any of the explosions. I do not know where Steve Austin is. He saw the gun and he left. And then suddenly Pillman, or I'm sorry, Austin appears and the group holding Pillman back, which were his friends that were just beat up earlier, uh, are back now. And now they're holding Austin back as Pillman begs, let him go. I'm going to kill that son of a bitch. Let him go. Get out of the way. Kevin Kelly is screaming, call the police. The show goes off the air with Melanie crying and Lawler screaming, somebody get the gun. So catch me up. That's the conclusion of the show. Catch me up to speed on anything else that happens in real life here. And I'm, I'm curious about the phrase explosions. Kerwin used the word and Kevin Kelly used the word. You guys clearly had a meeting where he didn't want to say gunshot or bullet or any of that stuff, you've wanted to use the phrase explosion. Why was that critical?
0: It's the same. It's the same reason. Vince doesn't like to use, say when someone gets injured, that they go to a hospital, they're going to a medical facility. Um, he, he didn't want to say gunshot. He wanted to say explosion so that no one could ever say, oh, you said there was a gunshot. No, we said there was an explosion. It's just semantics.
1: But that's a Vince call or is yep. that a USA call?
0: That's a Vince call.
1: So I'm curious. Um, we're going to talk about the fallout and everything else, but what did the USA know?
0: USA knew they pretty much knew all of it. They, they knew the whole thing that we were going to be live and what we were going to be doing, what they didn't know. And what we didn't know, frankly, you know, they didn't know about the language. Um, I, I did ask everybody to you know, watch their language.
1: Pillman said motherfucker. Is that right?
0: Uh, something like I'll fucking kill him or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. He said the F word. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, uh, there was definitely a fuck in there.
1: <laughs> so help me understand. I've always been fascinated by this. When you guys need to get, I mean, you didn't run everything you were doing past them or past the network. You just knew whenever, hey, we're getting close to the line on this. We probably ought to let somebody know. Do you send them an email? Do you make a phone call? Do you? Send no, it's a phone and- call. Ben's called them. And so when you say, um, who would that be? Don't say USA. Bonnie Hammer. Bonnie Hammer is running USA at the time. No. Okay. No.
0: Bonnie Hammer was our liaison at the time. and, And that's who we talked to at USA. That's just who we communicated with.
1: What was her role at USA?
0: Like, uh, programming maybe. I don't really. I don't remember her official title, but Bonnie Sue, who we worked with,
1: and so he would just have a direct line to her and say, "Got an idea? Let's hear it in your Vince pitch."
0: We're gonna do something a little unique on Raw live, and uh, here's here's the here's the deal. Here's gonna go on. He just explained it, explained what they were gonna see, and the fact that uh, that Brian would have a gun. And we would give, you know, that no one would be shot, nor would we allude to anyone being shot, and that we would make it clear by the end of the night that, that we did want to leave a cliffhanger, but we would make it clear at the end of the night that no one had been shot or anything like that. But, you know, we did want to leave a cliffhanger so for people to tune in next week, see what did happen.
1: So I'm curious, uh, when you guys pile out of there... How much longer do you hang out at the Pillman household before everybody's cleared out?
0: I don't know. An hour or so. We just packed up our shit and left. Thanked everybody and left.
1: And do you like tell him to get a quote on the door? or Do you have a contractor there? I mean, you just busted into his fucking house.
0: Oh, yeah. We had all that taken care of. We had somebody coming out the next day.
1: Okay. Yeah, uh-huh.
0: you know, any damage we did, we always took care of that.
1: Uh, what, How was Melanie to work with during this segment? awesome because you were producing her right yeah Uh, i mean
0: we we, again vince and i had been there that weekend and and gone over the whole thing with them
1: i want to ask this because i read once that you guys thought about taping it and the plan was to tape it to kind of control the variables but then you ultimately elected to do it live and you've told me off air before that you much preferred doing stuff with vince live Because he would just analyze shit to death when it was on tape. But when it was live, you do it one time and it's done. And, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, we're finished with it. And we don't have to obsess about every little detail. Correct. So my question is, when the original idea was to tape it, was it you pushing, saying, no, let's just do it live?
0: It was... You know, it was probably both, but it was Vince who wanted to do, you know, it was Vince who wanted to do live commentary and Vince wanted to have as many elements of the show as he could live.
1: What did you guys have a legit satellite truck? Like you would see at TV out on the road where Kerwin was yeah. and that's the way you beam the feed up.
0: Yes.
1: So when you're inside the house, are you wearing a headset where you can communicate with Kerwin and Vince or one or the other? Yes. So when Vince is doing commentary, he's got Kerwin in his head and you, or because he's calling matches during this point too. Yeah,
0: no, but I mean, we, we obviously had the show on there and, uh, in between breaks, we could talk to Vince and stuff like that.
1: Uh, so you but got I pretty much at it. So you had coached up Kerwin, what he was going to say, this, is this is before scripting. So you just kind of give bullet points with Kerwin yeah. Uh, or he didn't have like a script to do or anything no god no um uh, the cutaway back
0: in those days some ass you have a script you got a handful pull the pills
1: do 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 um but speaking of do 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 he's right there in the studio with vince and he's just on camera right when they do the I cutaway i guess okay um here's what's interesting the show does get a bump in ratings, but not nearly what the Bret Hart return announcement did a couple of weeks before. Uh, at the time, this is worth mentioning, it was head to head early in the show with Benoit and Hector Guerrero, and Benoit and Hector Guerrero beat it. Because um, the gobbledygooker, he's over. I mean, can we agree? Of course. Maybe not so much. Uh, Raw, the next week, there's no mention to open the show. But a few minutes in, McMahon says, we apologize for what happened last week and just leaves it alone. Uh, Austin cuts him off from a backstage promo and says, that's all Vince ever does these days is apologize. Uh, and then he cuts a promo about Bret Hart and says, this Sunday at Survivor Series uh, is too far away for him to wait. So he may just come find him and put a sharpshooter on him in his locker room once he's finished with Bob Holly tonight. And that's it. Uh, and I guess what sticks out for me you know most about this, and we're going to continue to beat it up. I'm sure. Sid's challenging his former friend Shawn Michaels for the world title at Survivor Series, and Bret Hart is returning uh, after a huge layoff and some question as to whether or not he's coming back to take on the loudmouth Steve Austin. What purpose does this serve? Trying to be controversial like this, it seemingly goes against the standard WWF mindset at the time. You know they've done. You know, some
0: It was a stunt. I mean, it was just simply a stunt. It was it was a stunt to get people talking, it was a stunt to for ratings, it was a stunt to get some buzz going. Some controversy.
1: Well, the buzz was there. You talked earlier about if the boys are into it, people are into it. And Austin said on the Pillman D V D that the day after this angle he runs into a bunch of W C W guys at the airport and they're all shocked and blown away by it. It's all they're talking about it. Uh, And he credits this angle as being one of the pivotal moments after WCW had been kicking their ass in the ratings where the WWF started to turn the corner, so to speak, uh, where all of a sudden people were talking about their product more than WCW. Do you agree with that? Can in hindsight, can you say, hey, that was the moment where we started to do more attitude stuff and people started talking about us more than them?
0: It was a moment. I Me mean, it was definitely controversial, and it was a moment. Uh, I don't know if it was the moment, but that's um, so when we were starting to take a turn, sure.
1: Um, Bischoff took the WWF to task very publicly that week and saying, you know, they took it too far. It was in poor taste, et cetera. Obviously, he's a competitor. They're competing for advertising dollars. He's going to try to bury this as much as he can. And lots of folks were offended and complained, and some folks even wrote, uh, that they should cancel Monday night raw, you know, this is newspaper stuff where people are talking about this. So USA decides they need to distance themselves and apologize. Uh, and then they say it won't ever happen again. And so that weekend, Vince McMahon appears on Livewire, which is the Saturday morning live show shot in a studio. Is that in the studios or is that in WWHQ where they would do live wire?
0: I think it was in the studio.
1: Um, so they do it that week and with Jim Ross. And normally this is like, uh, a Jim Cornette, Vince Russo, Doc Hendricks, Sonny thing. But this time it's Vince McMahon and Jim Ross. Uh, and Vince takes all the blame and says he runs the company. Um, and it's his fault because he allowed it to happen. And then he has both Pillman and Austin call in and apologize for the angle. And they do all of this to take the heat off of the USA network. They even have Kevin Kelly appear on the show and say it was obviously all just a publicity stunt because as soon as the camera stopped rolling, uh, Austin left Pillman's house without incident. Uh, In the subsequent uh, recaps, they digitized this gun uh, on USA every time it was shown, but not on the syndicated show, just on USA. Uh, And then after a couple of weeks, Jim Ross said that uh, it would never appear on TV again. For what it's worth, this reaction was not immediate it took a little bit because the gun did appear on the west coast version of the show that night what did you think of vince you know going to such great lengths to take heat off of usa and have pillman apologize and have kevin kelly say it was just a stunt and have austin apologize was it necessary
0: Yeah, it's the right thing to do for your business partner for USA. USA took a lot of heat. USA wasn't happy with the way. You know, networks are great when you're bringing them ratings and you do something good for them. But if they get any kind of heat or anybody's calling them complaining about shit, boy, they get really upset and they don't, you know, they don't like that. So it was being a good business partner and take the heat. The heat was on us. It was our idea. You know. We came up with it. We did it. We produced it. So we'll take the responsibility for it and make the apology for it. USA wasn't happy after the fact. You win some, you lose some.
1: It's important to mention that uh, Raw was the lead-in at the time for a show named Silk Stockings, which is just as sleazy and stupid as it sounds. And that's okay for USA. But this is not... Well,
0: because we blurred the lines of reality, and and those that didn't, you know, there were still people that. Well, once again, it's real to me, damn
1: it. Yeah, he's listening. So he's a listener to the show. What up, Dave?
0: I love you, Dave. Thank you, but you know, to people, it's real to them. So, the and they are real people. So, like I said, there were still people calling the police department there were people in the police department who knew that this was a stunt knew this was a television show who well we better check that out guys got a gun um, was what it was
1: well let's not forget i know i mentioned it earlier uh, around this time the NWOs is using bats and they're having police approach them with their hands on their guns on live tv and For years and years, you know, bats and barbed wire and brass knuckles and handcuffs and all kinds of weapons have been used. Harley Race and the Mountie used tasers. Um, Two months before this, you guys buried a guy. Legit. Not like wrestling buried, but dug a hole like a grave and then drug dirt over him. Uh, Shawn Michaels faked a a collapse on a live raw following a real-life injury. Uh, WCW the year before it had Hogan throw the giant off a building on pay-per-view, uh, later this same month, Jose Lothario would fake a heart attack on pay-per-view. So there's lots of this stuff that seemingly doesn't need to be apologized for, but a gun changes everything. Yep. Uh, Meltzer has reported, uh, that Vince McMahon and yourself flew there on the 1st to make sure everything was set up perfectly Uh, he says usa network knew everything all along and only next two items and i want to see if you could you know confirm or deny this number one melanie would take a bump and number two pillman would fire two shots which would turn out to be blanks Uh, and then the satellite feed would go out your thoughts
0: well, I already said we we flew down there, and met with them the weekend before. I'm so. talking
1: about the bump and the two shots. Sylphies did say he heard two explosions.
0: Yeah, and- no, we we did say explosion. Vince didn't. Vince didn't want to fire the gun. It was you know it was pushing the envelope for Vince in general to involve a gun at all. But he didn't want to fire the damn thing, and uh, it wasn't Vince's mo to have physicality with a woman. So I don't even know that that would have ever even gotten to USA. But, of course, if uh, your buddy there mentions it, then, by God, it must be true. But, no, that that's one of those things that Vince probably nicks it. And I could see, uh, and actually going back, uh, I could see Brian definitely suggesting Melanie get involved and take a bump. And Vic, Vince may be nixing it. Yeah, I could see that.
1: Um, Pillman is done on TV until the new year. Uh, but we're gonna go ahead and finish nineteen ninety seven. Um since we've already done this much on Pillman, let's just finish it up. February of ninety seven he shows up in Memphis uh to torment Lance Russell saying he has Alzheimer's and that his friend Jack Kavarkian will take care of Lance, uh still doing his, you know, loose cannon deal. Uh in March he's working out again, uh, at Les Thatcher School and he's hopeful to return around WrestleMania. And he starts doing some color on shotgun Saturday night at this time. And Jim Ross has taken credit for this decision saying, so he could spend more time with, uh, Brian and kind of hinting. He was worried about him at the time. And it's been reported, you know, after he died, that some of his friends in the business were scared to travel with him around this time. And supposedly through his tenure with the WWF, he wrecked three rental cars. Does any of this ring a bell to you?
0: we were all worried about Brian at that time and, and guys had actually brought it to our attention that they were worried for Brian's health and they were fearful that he was over-medicating and, um, maybe wasn't doing as well as he was trying to make us all believe. And it was simply a case of, yeah, Jim, Jim brought him in to be on shotgun Saturday night so that, he had something to do, and Brian looked up to uh, Jr. and he was kind of a father figure to him. So they had a good relationship, and it was an opportunity for Jim to kind of get in Pillman's head and let him know, you know, find out what the hell's going on with him. But also during that time, we, we also yeah, drug tested Brian, and it came back, you know, that uh, there weren't, any illegal drugs uh, in his system whatsoever that the drugs that were in his system were drugs that were prescribed to him by a physician and that were needed. He was walking around with a bad ankle, had a lot of injuries and was on prescription pain medication. So he had a prescription. We couldn't tell with the kind of drug test, you know, that it was okay. Was, was he abusing his, Prescription, well, it didn't tell you that. It just told you what was in his system. And the things that were in his system were all things that had been prescribed to him by physicians. So you're kind of in a catch-22 position. If he's not showing up impaired, which he wasn't, then it's tough tough to regulate. But as a human being, you want to look out for him and try to counsel him as best you can.
1: And, uh, late April, Pillman's finally returning. And this time he attacks Austin with a chair to save Brett Hart. And at this point, Brett's a heel and he's running with Owen and Davey. Uh, but immediately after Pillman realizes he may have overdone it. And it feels like a lot of start and stop with his ankle, uh, towards the end of April in Omaha, he does a, a very religious promo saying that everyone should bow their heads And he holds his hands up and gets down on a knee and starts praying for the complete annihilation and destruction of Austin and begging that he be stricken down and that we, the audience need to open our hearts and let our savior Bret Hart in. Um, and then he brings out Davy and Owen and, you know, they pray together and they say they're supposed to turn the cheek, turn the other cheek to Austin and he puts his butt towards the screen and. Austin eventually gives chase and says, Give your soul to the Lord or somebody because your ass is mine. And this is one of the first times, um, besides Austin 316, that religious stuff had started to be played. Also a first for the WWF.
0: I did um, it for three and a half years.
1: No, you weren't religious. You were about love. Okay. Um,. Officially, it's been mentioned that Pillman wasn't a member of the Hart Foundation, just an affiliate, because he wasn't related. Uh, Did you guys ever have any sort of conversation about that? About About what? About that he's not really a member and he's an affiliate?
0: Yeah, but he was part of the family. Uh, He was a Calgary guy, dungeon guy. Got his start there.
1: Meltzer reports around this time that uh furnace and Lafon were originally supposed to be the ones doing the americans don't understand angle that ultimately brett wound up doing so well where their heels on one side faces on the other was that originally ever discussed from your recollection about furnace and Lafon?
0: no no once again your rumor and innuendo uh is incorrect. And even even with Brett, that was something that wasn't planned. That's something that just happened. And it was a phenomenon that we just went with. That's one of those deals where you get into something and you realize, uh, wow, we got something here. Because we were running shows, obviously, in the United States and in Canada, and we we're getting different reactions. So we ran with it. But it wasn't planned ahead of time. Okay, this is what we're going to do. Because you, you read your audience. And... That was one of those things that just happened. So, once again, that, that's a situation where your wrestling journalist media um, tries to make up their own stories and make their – um what the hell is that word I'm looking for? Help me out.
1: Narrative?
0: Narrative fit the situation.
1: Uh, cold Day in Hell is a pay-per-view. And, uh, Undertaker and Steve Austin are the main event. And after a stone cold stunner on the Undertaker, Pillman hops the guardrail and rang the bell, which caused some chaos in the confusion. Taker hits the tombstone and steals the victory, which furthers this Austin Pillman situation. I've always wanted to ask this because I found it odd at the time. And when we're talking about it, I know people like when I say this, who knows when we'll talk about cold and Hell pay-per-view again. Vince wasn't at this pay per view and I always wanted to know the scoop here. Apparently someone named Rose passed away the night before. Who was this?
0: That was his best friend's mom.
1: Okay. Uh is this the first pay per view you remember Vince not being at? No. What other ones would he have missed? Do you recall any he
0: of them? He missed the king he missed the king of the ring in Baltimore when he was having his neck surgery. Um <laughs> maybe in your house here or there.
1: Okay. Uh, in may Pillman does a uh, segment on shotgun Saturday night. At some point in there, Sonny is talking to mankind, interviewing mankind. And she says, I won't bite. And Pillman immediately quips, but she will certainly swallow continuing his edgy loose cannon deal. Uh, this has to be a rib in may. There is a heart foundation attack on Bob Holly. And in the melee, Pillman brings a squeegee to the fight, but a rib
0: Work for Sid, <laughs>
1: uh, there's a huge buildup to the match. The finally, we're going to get a payoff man with this Austin thing. Let's back this up. Now this all started in October of 96. We're now in June of 97 and Pillman's doing a lot of promotional work locally, uh, because he's finally going to face. Austin, and what a big card this will be. The main event is Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels, the rematch from WrestleMania 12. But now, of course, as you probably remember, Bret can't work the show because he's injured his knee, so they call an audible. So instead of Bret and Shawn and Austin and Pillman, Shawn just wrestles Austin, and they do an interview segment early in the show where Austin attacks Pillman and puts his head in the toilet and flushes it. Is that a Vince idea, giving a guy sorely?
0: Probably. Either either that or Austin. It might have even been Brian. I, I have no idea.
1: Uh during that match with Sean, uh, Austin hurts his knee. So the rematch for the next night, which was going to be Pillman Austin, uh, since it couldn't be on pay per view, they said, Oh, we'll just make it the raw main event. Well, now Austin's knees hurt. So they can't do this big return match that Pillman's been building to, but they still want to put Pillman in the match. So he wrestles mankind. Seemingly out of nowhere. Um, and it's a little bit of a letdown and he eventually does get his shot at Austin on raw. Uh, but it's a, it's a DQ because the Hart foundation is handcuffed to the ring post. Austin stuns a ref. Owen fishes a key out of the ref's pocket and somewhere in the melee pillman gets his nose busted here. Uh, and it's actually broken. So, uh, in June, yeah, uh, WWF steals yet another idea from ECW and Pillman attacks a fan, uh, to be written off as the announced team. And I want to ask you about this because he's written off the announced team because they think they have a deal in place for Paul Heyman to agree to participate as a color commentator for shotgun Saturday night. Uh, what's your recollection of that situation? Cause I know you were very involved in shotgun Saturday night.
0: Well, there there was speculation to use Paul, but it wasn't ever really a done deal. So Paul had agreed to do it and just then decided he didn't want to do it at the last minute. I think Paul felt that that would hurt, and I'm putting words in Paul's mouth, uh, I think would have hurt his credibility with his fan base.
1: Um, so... July is the Canadian Stampede. Oh, by the way, it's worth mentioning Cornette winds up replacing Pillman on Shotgun Saturday night. Something pretty fun there. <laughs> Heyman is replaced by Cornette. Uh, July is the Canadian 15. Stampede. Thank you. Thank you. In Calgary, uh, the Hard Foundation will take on Legion of Doom, Ken Shamrock, Goldust, and Steve Austin. Pillman is the first out for the home team, and the crowd goes banana. Uh, probably the loudest pop of Pillman's career, uh, that August SummerSlam is sold out in New Jersey and it's a huge house and Pillman is wrestling gold dust here. And the deal is if Pillman loses, he has to wrestle in a dress. And this was a common gimmick match in the South back in the day. So there's like a mannequin there with a dress on it. Uh, the SummerSlam match had uh, a botched finish, but of course, Pillman loses because we've got to see him in this dress. Uh, that same month, Pillman fails a drug test for DECA and there were rumors at the time, uh, that he as punishment would be working for free. So we're going to put you on book you on the shows, but not pay you because you failed this drug test. I can't imagine that's the case, Bruce shit on that.
0: I, I honestly don't remember, but, uh, there were times where guys would work. In lieu of pay, if they flunk drug tests. And that, that was very few and far between. I don't remember this instance in particular. So,
1: give me an example of somebody in my head that was I've never been a deal oh. that that's what I went for.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, it, it was. If, if we had guys for TV and needed them, then it's like, okay, come work, but you're not getting paid. Uh, that was part of their.
1: Give me a name of a guy. No. So we're never going to talk money or why we fail, or, or fail drug tests ever?
0: Well, no, I'm not going to talk about failing drug tests back then when it was a confidential test, no. Oh. Then it was a confidential test. So
1: Pillman lays out a challenge for the next pay-per-view, which is in September, which will be In Your House Ground Zero. And he says if he can't beat Goldust, he will retire forever. And if Pillman wins, uh, he gets Marlena for 30 days. Goldust says no, and then Pillman pushes the issue and says that Goldust's daughter Dakota is really Brian Pillman's daughter. Marlena is then pushed and accepts for Goldust and Goldust is kind of confused. Like, why would you do this? But it comes out here in storyline, uh, and it's revealed to the audience at home that in real life, Brian Pillman had dated Marlena before Goldust met her back when they were all in WCW. Uh, and the storyline is Pillman dumped Marlena. And Dustin was the rebound and Dustin has said since this was a sore spot with him in real life at the time, but business is business. Do you remember this being an issue? I know that it was an issue once upon a time, supposedly with dusty and Dustin, because Terry did makeup for WCW and had apparently, you know, hung out with some of the guys and dust dusty didn't look at that very favorably, but Dustin didn't care and loved her anyway. So Do you remember this being any sort of a heat issue at all in real life backstage?
0: It was, you know, it was probably uncomfortable for Dustin and for Terry, but it was real life. Everybody was on board and, you know, it was was a story and it was something again that everybody can relate to. I think that people in general can relate to relationships that, that go awry. So having, to work with and, and be involved in that—that that was something that people could could definitely relate to. So everybody was professional about doing that. It wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal. We made it a big deal. We made it again. It was blurring the lines of fantasy and reality.
1: Uh, Marlena tries to help Goldust and uh, has a purse with a brick in it, but Pillman gets it and uses it for the win. Uh, before dragging marlena back to his car with him and looking back you could see where some of the seeds or so it would seem were being planted for her to turn heel at the end like this was her plan all along do you remember what the payoff was supposed to be for this was that supposed to be the big revelation
0: I believe so. Uh, I believe, you know, the idea was for her to turn heel for a while and then end up going back to gold dust. You know, unfortunately, um, with what did happen in in real life, it's one of those situations where you kind of get a black hole and you lose sight of everything, I guess. So I, I couldn't go back and tell you, oh, well, this is what we had planned. Uh, I think that was the idea that Marlena would, would be with Brian and then go back to Dustin at the end.
1: So the WWF starts running what they call the Pillman X files um, and it's just videos on Raw to show Goldust that Pillman is in a hotel room with his wife making crude jokes and references in the video, of course. Uh, she's coming to the ring with Pillman at this time, wearing all black and a nose ring, eventually even a dog collar and, um, the afternoon of October, 1997, the in your house, bad blood pay-per-view, um, Brett and Pillman are late to the building that day in St. Louis, so folks just assume they're all on the same plane, or these two guys are. Uh, You've told us before on the show that Brett would show up late to the building uh, pretty routinely, but when Brett does show up and he shows up alone, people start to realize something was up. And Pillman had missed a few shows that summer, and folks were worried, Uh, and he had been in a car wreck uh, just two months before. And missed the show. And a lot of people were blaming painkillers and over medicating himself for that. And supposedly you guys called Melanie a half hour before the show to see what was up because nobody had heard from him. And she said she hadn't heard anything either. And a short while later, uh, the police notified her that they found his body and a WWF official was able to recognize with the hotel that he had been discovered there.
0: Yeah, that's not exactly how it went down but
1: correct it tell us what's up
0: brian didn't show up and you know we started asking guys have you seen brian you know uh initially everybody thought well he'd be on brett's flight and brett said he wasn't on his flight so we started asking hey did you see brian and Guys, you know, that had stayed at the hotel where Brian was. Yeah, he stayed at our hotel. But he wasn't on your flight? No, didn't see him this morning. So I believe it was Jim Cornette called the hotel and asked if uh, I'd I'd called. I had called uh, Elliot Pollock, I think, first and asked if he had heard from Brian and knew where he was. He hadn't heard from him. I said, well, I don't want to worry anybody, but uh, he hadn't shown up yet. Corny called the hotel to see what time he had checked out, and they asked who he was, and they said, well, we need to speak to someone in an official capacity. I happened to be there, and he says, well, how about the vice president of town relations and Stuck me on the phone and they go, who are you? And I told them who I was and they put me on, um, with a police officer who told me that they had discovered Brian in his hotel room. And I'm, I'm just trying to process this and I'm getting his name because, you know, I'm being informed over the phone. I didn't know who the hell I was talking to. Right. Um, really. And I said, can I please get, you know, your, your name, your badge number and, and who I can contact there to confirm this. I hope you can understand. Uh, I'm not doubting what you're saying, but I need to do some more investigation before we go around saying that, um, you know, this guy's gone. And then we went in and I talked to Vince and, and Jr. was there and, and Corny was there. And um, I called Melanie and asked her, I said, hey, you heard from Brian? And she said no. She had talked to him the night before. And I said, okay, well, if you hear from him, let us know. Um, here's the direct line back here. Um, we hadn't heard from him. So I then called his agent and I said, uh, "Hey, we got some disturbing news." I'm trying, and, and at the same time, I think we had uh, we had somebody else trying to get a hold of the police department in Minnesota to to verify this news.
1: The night before, he, said, he had wrestled Goldust in his last match ever in Saint Paul.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and so we we, we had. Um, probably Rich Herring or someone or Linda or somebody trying to get a hold of, of the police department there to, to verify the news and, and just try and, and find out what happened versus, you know, talking to somebody in a hotel that you really, again, aren't sure who you're talking to. And while we're going through all this, the phone rings back, and it was Elliot who told us, hey, the police are at, uh, at Melanie's house. I've got her on the other line, and they just let us know that Brian's gone. And, you know, it's, it's, it's moments like that where it sucks. Uh, it really just sucks. It sucks to be in the position I was in. Having information like that and not knowing for sure you know I, I've been told um things that were wrong you know your, your buddy the, the the wrestling journalist expert has, has reported people who passed who hadn't passed and, and it happens that happens uh, and I understand it so I, I would always be very careful as far as repeating anything like that and it was, it was a closed circle um And I think the shittiest thing that happened was we were, you know, we were emotional. When I say we, uh, I was emotional. Corny was emotional. Jim Ross was emotional. And I don't know if it's a knock or what, but I remember it, it upset me at the time and and. I understand where he's coming from now, but, uh, but it upset me at the time. It was, was Vince kind of snapping at us, basically get your shit together. And it was in a, it was in a matter of minutes that we had just learned that one of our colleagues and friends had, had passed. I had the shitty job of, of, of getting that news and, and being online with the guy while his wife is getting the news. It's, it's not a fun, until you've been there, it's hard to explain and and it's hard to tell you the feeling and, and, and and the, the emotion and the range of, of emotion you go through and it was just tough. It was tough. And and next, now we gotta sit there and figure out. Oh my God, you know we are we're, we're here. We got a show to do. Um, and you got to make hard decisions, and, and you got to move forward. And it, it, it's nothing you nothing you say, and and nothing you do will be right. Um, everything will be second guessed by people that, you know, days after, but you're always second guessed by the people who have never been in that position to have to make those hard decisions. So to anybody that wants to second guess the decision or, or make comments about it, fuck you. You weren't there. You never had to make those decisions. And, um, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. So, I mean, that that's what happened, and, um, you know, we had to act pretty quickly and, and make some quick decisions, and, and decisions were made, and we, we decided to move on and, and that Vince would make the announcement, and you got guys in the locker room who were with him the night before, who are his friends and his colleagues, his, you know, brothers and sisters, and Um, there's a family, there's a wife and kids who just lost their dad and and their husband, their son and their brother. Um, so yeah, it sucks.
1: It's worth mentioning, um, that when this happens, Melanie came into the relationship with two kids, Brian had two kids and they had a son named Brian together. And when Brian passes away, she was pregnant. Um when they found him dead in his bed at the Budgetel Motel in Bloomington, Minnesota, the authorities found pill bottles, none of which were empty, and one empty beer. Um the pills were all of course prescription, muscle relaxers and painkillers. Uh there was no illegal drugs. Uh there was no note. And I assume this was somas, would you imagine?
0: I, I don't know. Dying, the official cause of death was a heart attack. Yeah. Brian died of a heart attack and there it wasn't a drug overdose.
1: I didn't say it was.
0: No, I know. I'm I'm just making that clear. Uh, it, that is, it wasn't. It is drug worth that
1: that is what everybody assumed, including Vince McMahon. Um, that night on the pay-per-view, uh, he actually said that on the pay-per-view. um,
0: well, I don't think he said it was a drug overdose.
1: Well, I mean, he kind of did. No, he didn't. Uh, he says, when it it's worth mentioning, when you talked about Vince addressing the situation, during the free-for-all segment prior to the pay-per-view, they shot something with Vince in his announcer outfit with the cage behind him backstage. And uh, he said, you know, that Brian Pillman had passed away. Once the pay-per-view actually starts, he mentions it again while the Nation of Domination are doing their entrances. And when it was time for there to be a Brian Pillman-Dude love match on the card from Bad Blood, McMahon says, quote, Authorities expect no foul play was involved in terms of the initial inspection. Um, there are concerns about the possibility of a drug overdose, be a prescription or recreational Of course, that is a problem in all sports and all forms of entertainment. Um, That will not be definite for another seven days when the toxicology report comes in and is made public. So he, on the pay-per-view, prepares his company, at least in my opinion, for what he knows will be the lambasting. That, oh, now one that's on your roster did it and overdosed. Because guys were passing away even here from drugs, um, but to have it happen on a pay per view and make this announcement, he knows he's going to have to address this. Well,
0: and again, but at the same time, too, you don't always. That's why I I I shudder when when people, you know, will will either criticize it, second guess it, man. It's within minutes, hours of finding this information. You don't have all the information. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, is, is going to be second-guessed. And, and you know, I, I guarantee he, he didn't, you know, he, he made a decision. That's what he said. That's what he did. Okay, great. But um,
1: it, it, this is worth but, mentioning, though, you know, when people say, because when I talked about there were pill bottles there, and one empty beer. You went, you went right to, hey, he died of a heart attack. And well, he did,
0: I, because I, I, the assumption automatically, you automatically jump to in your mind. Well, there were pill there were pill bottles, and there was a beer. The average person, me included, is going to jump to the conclusion, well, he OD'd. Not he just, problems, not
1: just you included. Vince McMahon, the owner of the company, goes on fucking television after a guy dies from a heart attack and says
0: We didn't know what the... he died of.
1: So why so why why would you just fucking name hey there's a possibility Because of a people are gonna say this. just
0: like you did that there were pill bottles there, so he died of an O D. So address it up front. That's the only thing I can assume was his reasoning. I can't tell you Vince McMahon's reasoning for doing that.
1: Well, I can because he says Of course, that is a problem in all sports and all forms of entertainment, which is. which is code for, it ain't just us, it ain't just wrestling, people die in music, people die in the movies.
0: People die every day.
1: But the point is, Brian Pillman has this thing around him now in his death that is, oh, well, it was a drug overdose. Vince McMahon is the person who put that in everybody's head.
0: Well, I think everybody had that in their head regardless of whether Vince put it there that night or not.
1: Now, you're saying that because you're inside the wrestling bubble. So everybody in the locker room may have thought that because they saw him stumbling and bumbling around the back. But when the... The
0: audience, media did it. The media did as well. It's just like... You do. I do You're now. saying the same thing.
1: How am I saying the same thing?
0: By bringing it up.
1: I'm bringing it up to give your fucking former boss an out to excuse his bullshit decision here to just say on TV and speculate that it was about drugs and he continued his bullshit the next day. And we'll get there in a minute. Uh, but I mentioned there was no note because the odds are real damn good. This was not a suicide. You know, obviously it was a heart attack, but Brian had a relationship with a woman, uh, who had a baby and that woman struggled with depression and drug addiction, and then she eventually shot herself in the head while she was on the phone, uh, with, um, her mom and a big custody battle ensued between her mom and Brian. And when Brian dies, his daughter has no mother now. Uh, So it's doubtful that he would have ever done this intentionally. Obviously he had a heart attack, so that doesn't matter. Uh, It comes out later that uh, the night before at the St. Paul Civic Center, Ed Sharkey, who was a referee at the time, reported that Pillman kind of looked weird and then slept on the floor during the matches, which was not the norm for him. Reports are that he did have some drinks with the boys, afterwards and was a little tipsy, but he didn't go out, um, with them. He turned down their invitation and just went to his room and he was in there before 11 PM. He did leave a message at home on his home answering machine. And that was the last anybody ever heard from him. His dad died of a heart attack, uh, heart failure rather at uh, the age 50. Um, this is weird. You guys replace this Brian Pillman dude love match with a, mini tag match. Where do you find four Mexican midgets in St. Louis on a couple hours notice?
0: They were there for TV the next day.
1: Okay. Uh, so they're supposed to keep this angle going with Goldust and Marlena renewing their vows, uh, and continuing this Brian Pillman rabbit hole thing they're doing, but they just disappear from TV for a bit. And then when they do reappear, they abandon that storyline altogether, obviously, And then in a sit-down interview with J.R., Dustin is the one who wants out now. So they continue the breakup angle, but just from a different perspective. Um, Meltzer wrote in The Observer that Ross had been counseling on a multiple-time-per-week basis Pillman about his drug usage and ordered him to undergo a drug test about a month before, five weeks before, rather, before his passing away. And supposedly Pillman was furious about being singled out uh, since he had never gone on television loaded and no one ever said he couldn't perform in or out of the ring. And he kind of compared himself to the state that Shawn Michaels had been in in recent weeks where that was more of an issue than maybe it was here. Um, When this happens, supposedly... Pillman flips out and starts to blame his marital problems. Also worth mentioning, Melanie had, um, asked Brian to go to rehab. He refused and she eventually got a restraining order against him and filed for divorce. After a brief separation, he returned home. And then for a series, um, in like September and October, he had to miss Friday night house shows because he was at a court mandated anger management class on Saturday mornings, including the night he wrestled his last match uh, with Goldust in St. Paul. Um, what do you think about this whole JR. drug testing him, his fallout with Jim Ross right here at the end? Because supposedly this led to him calling Bischoff all depressed and talking about not being happy with his position in the WWF, and maybe coming back to WCW to join the Horsemen, nothing ever came of that talk, of course. But what was your thought about Brian at the time when this whole Jim Ross thing?
0: Well, it wasn't just Jim Ross; it, it was his friends and his colleagues were concerned for his well-being, and. So, yeah, he was singled out because there was reason to single him out because of his actions and because guys were concerned for his health and his well-being. So he was asked to take a drug test. You know, it's, it's real simple. If you're not doing drugs and you say you're clean and you're okay, then there shouldn't really be an issue about taking a drug test. And I think Brian kind of felt that he was betrayed by J.R. and – that he was being picked on because he was different because he was living the gimmick but i think you know guys were just concerned for him so there was a drug test he was asked to take see if he was on anything other than what he was being prescribed man it came back that he wasn't
1: i guess my question, he took it I, i'm talking about the um the relationship between he and j r do you know if they I said he it?
0: felt betrayed? I mean he felt betrayed by Jim after that,
1: but do you think they passed it up before he passed away or no?
0: yeah, I think so. i mean i you know i who really knows I think they did I would hope so i mean jim Jim felt i mean god damn he 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 loved Brian, yeah. No, I'm not so on JR. I mean, you're just, not trying to help. Yeah, him. I, I would hope so. I would, I would definitely hope so. I talked to Brian about it as well. You know, I went through the whole thing with him. Um,
1: and you probably had a different approach than a Jim Ross, and I'm not saying that from a. Shit oh, I had, Jim a, Ross. I
0: definitely had a different approach than Jim Ross. You know, I've, I've been there, done that. I, I've done them all, so it's, it's I'm not going to sit there and throw stones. I, I live in a glass house, so.
1: Hey, let me just ask a, a stupid, dumbass question. Uh, i'm asked a lot of another one here's another one yeah uh for those of us who've never used before uh what's the soma like
0: i mean soma is a muscle relaxer
1: i get that but i mean can you compare it to another more common like in my real life i never hear people talk about somas i hear all the other you know Drug name. I hear hydrocodone and blah blah. I mean, you hear all that. You hear oxycontin and oxycodone, and you hear all these different Percocets and Xanax and yeah, all that stuff you hear about in your real life. You know, this guy does this and that and blah blah blah. But some of it seems like that's like a wrestling thing.
0: Why? No, that- it's it's kind of a it's it's a sport thing really because it's a muscle relaxer and it's one of those things that when you get. Um, like a muscle injury, I guess would be the best way to put it where you're really tight. So it does, it does exactly what it says. It relaxes the muscles. It gives you a feeling of euphoria and, uh, kind of makes you like jello. It's probably one of the worst drugs <laughs> out there. Very habit forming and, um, terrible.
1: The big drug, very addictive. The, the big drug in the NFL is Toradol. Um,
0: Toradol is not really a drug. I mean, it's the pain reliever. <laughs> Come on. I mean, Toradol is more of a natural kind of. So, soma easy is now, a, Tiger. Soma's, another yeah, soma's bad. Yeah, soma's bad. Toradol and soma, two different categories.
1: Uh, soma when mixed with alcohol,
0: horrible, and, horrible mixture. Dead, deadly.
1: Is this? Um, you know, we hear about guys overdosing with somas all the time. When did it become? When do you remember it being like the it drug in the back?
0: Wow, um, I don't know. I mean, a long time.
1: I mean, I, I, 90, I couldn't take nineties, eighties, eighties, nineties. Okay, all right. Well, it seems like I just heard mostly about it in the mid nineties on. The day after Brian's death on Monday night, both WCW and the WWF open their shows with mentions of Pillman's death, uh, the WWF does, uh, a 10 bell salute with almost all the guys out there. And during the show, they constantly promote an interview with Melanie Pillman, uh, that they're saying will be done live from the exact same home that we talked about this gun angle in Walton, Kentucky. And during the show, they show a bunch of framed photos of the family, uh, with Brian holding his, uh, child and photos of Brian and Melanie together. And even a picture of Pillman and Austin as WCW tag team champions. Were you there on location when this interview happened or were you in the studio or were you at the building?
0: I was at the building.
1: Uh, would they have sent Kerwin to do this?
0: No, they didn't send anybody that I can remember. It was just simply a cameraman. a remote, a remote setup. Yeah, a cameraman and a no a remote pro- setup.
1: No producer.
0: Mm, I don't think so. Um, they might have had somebody from the studio go there, but everybody else was at TV.
1: Uh, in the years since, Melanie has defended. Uh, well, I don't know if defended. Here is what she says in the years since. Vince told me I didn't have to do the interview if I didn't want to, but I felt obligated to him. I knew he wanted me to do it, and I knew I would be relying on this man for food. Um, When it comes time for the actual interview after they've promoted it and teased it the entire day, uh, Vince says something like, let's run through this now. This is 24 hours after they announce his death. There's a great deal of speculation, obviously, when a 35-year-old man in competitive condition passes away can you please tell us what you have been told to end any speculation as far as Brian's death is concerned? And she says something like, apparently there was a problem uh, with his heart. There was a lot of stress on his heart. I can't really tell you what caused that. Vince says there was speculation. Brian may have taken too much prescribed medicine and that that was the cause of his death. He asks if that was proven to be the case, Would Melanie have any advice to aspiring athletes who do get hurt and resort to prescribed painkillers? He's real careful about saying prescribed medicine. Melanie says she can't comment on that, but Brian was not only an athlete, but also involved in a car wreck. She said all athletes to a degree experience a reliance on painkillers. And she knew it was a matter of time before it happened to someone. And unfortunately it was her husband. She said she had hoped it was a wake-up call because it could be your husband or you next, and you don't want to leave behind orphans like her husband did. Uh, Vince asks how the kids are taking the news, and do they understand? Melanie says little Brian doesn't understand why Daddy isn't coming home. They're zooming in here looking for tears. Uh, She said Brian understands because she's the uh, adopted daughter of after her mom killed herself two years ago. And when she heard the news, she screamed for about 15 minutes. It's hard. It's really hard. And now Vince asks, uh, Melanie now as a single parent, um, what are you going to do now to support your five children? Melanie says she doesn't know what day it is much less she will, what she will do, but she thanks the fan of the company for calling and commenting on the internet, but she says she has no idea what she will do. And Vince asks how she wants Brian to be remembered by fans. She asks that they remember that he was the greatest father in the world and a compassionate and loving man who loved this business and lived for this business. And I guess you could say he died for this business. Vince then sends his heartfelt condolences and the segment finishes with her saying, Thank you, Vince. So I want to hear your insight as to the decision. Okay, so he's definitely dead great let's send the camera crew to Kentucky let's see if we can get her to do a camera an on-camera interview and talk about well,
0: it. i'm not sure that's a narrative that dave melts would like to have everyone believe but it was simply a situation where you know here's a here's an athlete here's a guy who's on tv he's a star melanie's getting bombarded with requests for interviews and people doing you know exactly exactly that that are want, wanting to put her on live tv and she said you know I would rather come on and talk to his fans and say, hey, no, here's the deal. It was, it was an atmosphere with your CNNs of the world, your Nancy Graces of the world that want to spin it is, you know, all these wrestler deaths and here's another one and so on and so forth. And it was just trying to get ahead and to be able to present her story on our format, on our show, and and get it out there. And it was as simple as that. And it wasn't simply, a, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't, oh, my God, well, let's see if we can get the crying widow on. That wasn't the case at all. That was simply something that, you know, Melanie looking for advice and having the idea of, well, you know what, I mean, I should tell it to that audience, to his fans, and get out any anything ahead of time that no, you know, Brian didn't know D Ryan didn't do this. He had a heart condition and this is what we know. And again, you're still 24 hours, but what is different between that and the news media doing it and doing the same interview? Um, you know, it, it blurs the lines. It, it, it gets out there because man, that that's real. You know, she just lost her husband 24 hours ago and and it's heavy and and I don't know uh would we do the same thing today I have no idea I can't answer that I can't tell you whether it's a good decision or bad decision it was a decision that was made um at a critical time that that happened criticize it don't criticize it whatever it is it, it is what it is
1: that's the f- Fucking most ambiguous answer. You maybe.
0: Well, no. I mean, it is what it is. She wanted to do it.
1: Wait a minute. Wait. You
0: got to address it.
1: She said, "Hey, send a crew here and zoom in on my tears." Let's talk about this. I want you, I want to make sure that you come out of this. No, no. see, okay, thing.
0: again, you're, you're sitting there, it's television. You're telling, it, it's no different than what the news does, what CNN does, and, every, and everybody else, what Fox News and what everybody else does. Somebody's kid is just killed, falls out of a, a goddamn apartment fire, and what do they do? They go get in the mother's face. How do you feel? How do you feel? And they go zoom in on their tears. It's no different than what everybody else does. The only difference is, is that it was Melanie Pillman and Brian Pillman. And it was simply to do it on our show and for her to get her story out without them editing it and them putting their spin on it. And it was just giving her an opportunity to do that. That's all it was.
1: It was an opportunity for the WWF to control the spin because they shot sure and not well,
0: well no it's an opportunity for us to get that story out and allow her to get her story out sure without a doubt
1: it's an opportunity for vince to cover his ass
0: there was no ass to cover there vince didn't kill brian
1: pillman oh gosh i'm not saying that i'm saying most what you're things... saying he's covering his ass for what because... what's he covering his ass for Is this a real question? Yeah. What's he covering his ass for? Why would he say the night before recreational drugs happen in all forms of entertainment?
0: Because that's what everybody else was going to say. Get in front of it. Go ahead and say it.
1: No elephant in the room, but no, here's the thing. It's It's like when you're a little kid and you get in trouble and then you're like, well, Bruce did it too. I mean that's that's kind of what Vince is saying there. Hey, musicians do drugs too. And, and the, the line of questioning here: Hey, now as a single mom, what are you going to do to take care of all your children?
0: Again, how's that difference than what what Nancy Grace asks people all the time? Well, and what well, what all the others, here's what all other Here's how it's people
1: different: do. The week before, you guys are or not the week before; the year before. You guys are on TV sucking hind teeth and apologizing for having a gun on TV because that was too close to blurring the lines and that was, that was too close to reality and now when somebody dies in real life you can't wait to exploit the shit out of it like you were Moripovich.
0: no and it wasn't we had to cover it so would you prefer preferred us to ignore it I'm not saying so we, if we ignore it if we address it no matter what my point is no matter what we do we're wrong well, I don't think no matter what you do, you're wrong. If we ignored it or we downplayed it, well why didn't you say something? Melanie said she wanted to be on the show. Why didn't you put her on the show Let her tell her story? Melanie, you Put her on the show and tell her story. Why'd you put the grieving widow widow on you're to saying have her tell her story?
1: For the record here that Melanie said, "I want to be on the show." Yes. On October seventh, the WWF sent letters out to several known "quote unquote" dirty docs, who were marks for the boys, just to re, just to reiterate the company policy uh, that doctors are banned from being backstage unless they were there with the state athletic commission, uh, which is how Zahorian got back there to begin with. Uh, and finally, um, the letter said that writing prescriptions or dispensing of medicine to wrestlers should only be performed through an individual appointment at the physician's office. In a traditional doctor-patient relationship. His funeral takes place three days later also in Walton, Kentucky. About 150 folks there. Mostly friends and family. The only folks in the business that were there uh, are Bruce Hart, uh, Joey Mags, Eric Bischoff, Les Thatcher, and a few of Thatcher's students. Vince McMahon and Jim Ross uh, attended a private wake the night before. I don't believe Steve Austin was at either one of these. Do you find that odd, and, and why didn't you go to this?
0: I don't remember. I, I did not go, but I, I really don't remember. I want to say that there was a conflict, so um, but I, I don't remember offhand.
1: Here's my question, I guess. Let me run through here. Bruce Hart, Joey Maggs, Eric Bischoff, Les Thatcher, a few of Thatcher's students, not one WWF contracted person goes. Is there some sort of edict put out saying, hey, don't go to this?
0: Oh, God, no. Absolutely not. Well, Vince and JR were there. Yeah, we may have had before. a show. I, I don't know. I don't know what the what the day of the week was. I don't really know.
1: After extensive uh, testing, the coroners were stumped for the cause of the heart attack. Uh, they did show an unusual amount of damage for someone his age, and that could have been hereditary just given his family history. I think I mentioned earlier his dad died when he was 50 It could have just been, you know, it's a stress that had been placed on his heart. And you can use your imagination as to what those may or may not have been. They did find prescription painkillers in his system, although not at any sort of dangerous level. uh, And no trace of steroids or any other illegal drugs at all. Now, this doesn't keep Mean Gene from going on the WCW Internet radio show and opening the show with a big scoop. that he's plugged in in Minnesota because he's from there. And that Pillman actually died from a cocaine overdose. Of course, when toxicology reports come back, there's no evidence of cocaine whatsoever and Oakland never apologizes or discusses this again. Ultimately Did the,
0: he actually say that on air?
1: Yep. Well, I think the hotline wow. too. The uh the county medical examiners ultimately ruled the death to be natural causes due to heart disease. Um Right
0: after when you, when you have him on Flair's show, did you ask him that question?
1: Uh, I didn't know it until I did research here, but I will ask him about it. All right, cool. I, I ain't scared of shit. Uh, I know. WC. <laughs> That'd be a t-shirt, right? Uh, WCW. Right after this, dude, drug tests a bunch of dudes, uh, and about thirty percent fail, according to the reports. Um, those who failed only have to go to a one-day counseling session and they're not suspended do you know what the wwf's uh reaction was did you guys drug test anybody or was it just time to get to the building who gives a shit
0: we drug tested guys all the time i mean they had random drug tests all the time
1: but there wasn't like i know you guys sent out like letters to dirty dogs right then but did you do like a mass drug testing
0: like i said i mean they they did all the time so uh right after that i don't think so i don't really remember so i, I don't want to say yes or no i don't know
1: Some weird, um, weird, weird stuff in Brian's life. You know, we talked about, you know, one of his baby mothers, uh, baby mamas, um, committing suicide. And when he was in WCW, he had a long relationship with a different woman in Atlanta. And while he, while he was on the road, someone broke into her home and stabbed her. And, uh, he had a breakup with her and that was hard and led to a separate custody battle uh later she wound up missing and he went looking for her couldn't find her got in a little trouble for having some drugs on him uh eventually she showed up strung out in florida um this melanie thing we should we should mention the interview on uh, raw won the observer 1997 most disgusting promotional tactic award even beating out uh the montreal screw job um Melanie has said that Brian had a dirty dock in Indianapolis for painkillers and that he took pills to cut weight and spent a considerable sum on HGH every month. She mentioned that he did HGH every day, sometimes twice a day, from July 96 to April of 97. Uh, The coroner who examined Pillman could not conclusively identify steroids or HGH as the cause. Uh, And Melanie had a previous relationship in wrestling she was a penthouse pet and used to date the ultimate warrior Uh, pillman saw her in a magazine started pursuing her and then married her in march of 93 Uh, we ran through uh, all of the kids and what that situation looked like his son brian grew up to play football in high school and graduated in 2011 his daughter alexis Uh, got into the business as a valet, and then sadly died in a car wreck in 2009. So lots of tragedy to go around here with the Pillman family. Melanie has had some pretty well-documented substance issues as well. Uh, Pillman left behind a life insurance policy of $135,000, and uh, Melanie has gone on record as to say that McMahon did pay the balance of Brian's contract that year. Uh, They held a... Memorial show, house show on January thirty first of two thousand eight in Cincinnati, and McMahon sent a sixty five thousand dollar check for that. That show drew seventy seven hundred folks and a gate of about one hundred thirty three thousand. Uh, once upon a time, she got jammed up and was going to lose the house. Then sent her another twelve thousand to pull the house out of foreclosure. And I think they even did like a Brian Pillman issue of the WWF magazine with the proceeds going to the family as well. So there was lots of support from the WWF. Do you think, you know, this comes in exchange for her agreeing to not sue the company, Bruce?
0: I don't know that she agreed not to sue the company. No, it was just simply doing the right thing.
1: I'm not arguing that's not the right thing. No, I, I, I no it's I, very I, I'm just saying. I, I think
0: it's just simply doing the right thing.
1: Uh, I, I, I was really impressed to hear that um, you guys sent such a big check for a house show, memorial show. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. And, and lots of guys had a heart for this as well. DDP um, raised some money online. This is way before crowdfunding. He raised like a thousand bucks online and even co-promoted a show with Judy Bagwell there in Georgia and raised another $1,500. WCW world champion David Arquette donated every dollar he made in professional wrestling uh, to the families of deceased wrestlers, and that included uh, the Pillman family. And Les Thatcher held several memorial shows. They called them Brian Pillman Memorial Show, and that was in 98, 99, and 2000. And man, everybody was there. Eugene, Shark Boy, Al Snow, Candido, Benoit, Jericho, Terry Taylor, Tom Pritchard, Road Dog, Mankind, D-Lo, Conan, Mysterio, Malenko, Rico, Palumbo, Hare, the Harris Brothers, Kidman, Disco, Humorous, Vampiro, Regal, DDP, Shane Douglas, Raven, Just Incredible, Perry Saturn, Eddie Guerrero, Nigel McGuinness, Randy Orton, the Haas Brothers, Bobby Eaton, Steve Carino. David Flair, Mark Henry, Leto, Victoria, Evan Courageous, the Hardy Boys, Canyon, Edge, Christian. Uh, Pillman meant a lot to a lot of people, and they all came out to support it. And Austin has often talked about, you know, Pillman being one of his best friends, and his most sentimental piece of memorabilia or um, possession that he owns is the gold chain that he wears that was a gift from Brian Pillman. And he talks about how Pillman would travel with a dictionary book to grow his vocabulary. And a lot of people have talked about how much he studied old tapes, just a student of the game, whether it was Buddy Rogers stuff or Pat Patterson stuff, even memorizing a bunch of parts of Fez's book. You know, we've really talked about Pillman a lot today. Do you have any fun Pillman stories you could share with us to just kind of highlight and honor his memory in a positive way and... Get off of some of this bad stuff here at the end
0: no you know I, I just i enjoyed my time with brian and brian was one of those guys that always had a twinkle in his eye no matter what he did and he loved the business and i, I choose to look at brian's life as a success story overcoming all the obstacles that he overcame in his life as a young child with all the throat surgeries he had and everybody telling him his whole life, hey, man, you're too small. You'll never play football. You'll never wrestle. You'll never do this. You'll never do that. And he overcame all that. And not only did he overcome it, but he excelled at it as well. And he was a tremendous athlete, tremendous star, and a wonderful guy to be around. And I'm, I'm proud to have known him and proud to have been able to be around him.
1: Um, In the end, Melanie uh... – all these years later blames the schedule of the WWF on Brian's death and said, quote, the money you make, you pay for it in every way. And that's going to finish up our Brian Pillman episode. And we'll be back next week right here on something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. You shut your whore mouth. That's my line.
0: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those
1: weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and and How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you fifteen
0: to twenty? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.